0: This is the Catholic Disinfo Hour. It is the most trusted podcast in the history of humankind. (laughs) And you're here tonight. The Fab Four are all here, plus Matt Gaspers of Catholic Family News. He's the man who broke the story. And we're having a consecration, baby. And I can't wait to talk about it. And here we go. This is the Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the Church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown.
1: Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media.
2: RestoringTheFaith.com.
0: Look at the price of gas now. It's seven fifty-five a gallon. Hey Putin, we're sending you a bill.
2: But they know that we can't go there. Uh, the, the, Putin is trying to <laughs> bait the trap so that uh, we go in, and that's the beginning. Could be the beginning of World War III bait the trap so that uh, we can't <laughs> go in, and that's the beginning, could be the beginning of World mm. War III. Uh, Putin, totally irresponsible, using <laughs> weapons that are not allowed under the Geneva Conne- Convention. Putin, who uh, threatens chem- use of chemical weapons, um, nuclear and the rest. Um, nuclear and the rest.
3: from the answer. but it's
2: the ask. <laughs> now, he was, uh, this morning, uh, more... Let's, if we can't have an, if we can't have a no-fly zone, let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to command. Let's, if we can't have an, if we can't have a no-fly zone, let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to command.
4: It's really frightening that she's very close to the presidency, no, like no, 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 <laughs> only two this people. This
2: morning he was mo- less on the, on the ask for the, um, line. Uh, the policy more on let us do it, help us get the planes. But also, there is a school of thought that thinks the anti-aircraft missiles and the rest are a very important way. Myself, when I see that that those tanks, that 40 miles of tanks, I'd like to take out those tanks. I mean, I, I think that <laughs> airco- uh, them having more planes might be useful, but that I'm not a, a military fr- Strategist. Clearly, <laughs> that we will be able Seriously. to get to a place. I hope, you ask me how if, I hope that we can get to a place where the uh, MiGs, which are the kinds of planes they've been trained on, can go to Ukraine. The F 16s, especially if you get an excess of them, can backfill. Exos. Wow. <laughs>
4: wow. <laughs>
5: Thank you for agreeing to join me, St. Patrick. Oh, certainly, Indy. I'm happy to help. The way you chased off those snakes from the Great Hall was amazing. Oh, there's nothing. Now, I believe in the next room, there, we'll find the idol to the Mayan sun god. It's the last of its kind, and we'll be able to bring it into my university to display it and study it.
3: Sounds like I have it all planned out there, Lovely. There may be snakes in the next room, so why don't I go and bring the idol back to you? I hate
5: snakes.
3: dropped it, then stomped <laughs> on it, then exercised the remains, and smashed it some more. You did what? Oh, I'm terribly sorry you won't have your idol for your museum, but at least no one will get possessed. Come, let's get back to town. It'd still make mass if we leave now.
5: If you have a friend who is transgender or non-binary, and you keep messing up on their pronouns, before you just... One, make yourself feel horrible, and two, do nothing about it and then just keep apologizing when you're around them. Take a step back and try this strategy. Reach out to a mutual friend and schedule a time for you both to swap compliments about the person that you may be messing up pronouns on. You. Make sure, one, that you both are going to be able to hold each other accountable and catch when the pronoun is missed. And then two, what you're doing is you're saying kind things about somebody and reinforcing in your brain how much you love and respect and want to honor them. I could use my wife as an example. Her pronouns are she, her, and I could say she is an unbelievably loyal friend and she is such a good gift giver. And if you found this helpful, please don't forget to comment, like, and share so that we can create even better allies <laughs>
0: the cat. I, I think that's the only appropriate response to that right yeah. it's like the, the only legitimate response to to the wokeness this guy is woke all right uh ladies and gentlemen we have so much to talk about today our top story tonight on the most trusted podcast in the history of the universe uh certainly of mankind uh this is the rundown with matt gaspers matt you were the man who broke the news and lots of people lots of people copied your work and haven't attributed it to you it's kind of weird how that happens uh in the establishment catholic news media so called uh t- tell us first of all fill us in on what you know and what's happening.
4: So I was, you know, by God's providence, was able to break a particular facet of this story. Uh, of course, I'd, I'm not the one who announced that the Pope is going to be consecrating Russia. The Vatican did that uh, last week. What was that? The 15th, I guess. No, this this week. Yeah, sorry. I got <laughs> this week has been a long week, so I'm a little mixed up there. But yeah, Tuesday of this week, the Vatican announced that. And then um, I received unsolicited from uh, a friend of mine, a source, um, this two-page PDF, which includes, here, I'll pull it up here. So it has a cover letter from the USCCB, a memorandum um, addressed. Let's see here. So it's, um, here we go. So it's from Reverend Michael J.K. Fuller, the General Secretary of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, USCCB, and the subject of the memorandum is Act of Consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and it simply reads, it's meant to be distributed to all the bishops throughout the United States. I am pleased to share the attached copy of a letter from His Excellency, Most Reverend Christophe Pierre Apostolic Nuncio regarding the act of consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary mm. on the Feast of the Annunciation, March 25th. And that's that's the single sentence memorandum. And then the letter from uh, the Apostolic Nuncio to the United States, uh, Archbishop Christophe Pierre reads as follows. And it's addressed to uh, Archbishop Jose Gomez, who is the president, current president of the USCCB, the Archbishop of Los Angeles. So it says, Your Excellency, in the context of the tragic events unfolding in Ukraine, the Holy Father, Pope Francis, will lead an act of consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on the Feast of the Annunciation, uh, March 25th, next. The Holy Father intends to invite each bishop, or equivalent in law, this is the significant part of this letter, uh, together with his priests to join in this act of consecration. Because originally, the Vatican announced um, on Tuesday of this week that it simply said on Friday, 25th March, during the celebration of penance at which he will preside at 1700 hours in St. Peter's Basilica, Pope Francis will consecrate Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The Vatican Press uh, communique continues, the same act on the same day will be carried out in Fatima by His Eminence Cardinal Krajevich, Krochev, uh, apostolic almoner, who uh, as envoy of the Holy Father. So the big news that I was able to break is that the, the Pope is inviting all the bishops of the United States, and ultimately throughout the world, the, the nunciatures throughout the world are receiving these same kind of letters. I've seen a couple others floating around where uh, the, the Pope is inviting all the bishops to participate, because as we know in 1929 when our lady appeared to sister lucia uh about 12 years after the apparitions of our lady in fatima she said (coughs) excuse me make it known oh excuse me sorry wrong quote here we go uh the moment has come in which god asks the holy father to make and to order that in union with him and at the same time all the bishops of the world make the consecration of russia to my Immaculate Heart, promising to convert it because of this day of prayer and worldwide reparation. So prior to this letter from the Apostolic Nuncio to Archbishop Gomez and ultimately to all the U.S. bishops, there was a question about whether or not all the bishops of the world were going to be invited, you know, ideally that they would would be commanded to participate in this consecration. But right now it just looks like an invitation. So we'll see what happens.
0: Okay, now this is very significant, Ryan, because lots of traditionalists uh, question whether or not uh, Russia was ever truly consecrated, and many of them have uh, very good reason to hold that opinion.
6: Uh, yes, it, it is one of those things that I've I've joked about in, in private, and in that I imagine it like a big Venn diagram of... Uh, you know, the, the set of acantists and Benedictus Pope theorists and trads of various sorts and the new right along with, um, you know, the people, John Paul II's consecration is valid. It wasn't valid. And then that, that Venn diagram crossing over and that being the focus of all the energy this week. And so, uh, uh, and, it, and, it, and of course it is a question obviously that, well, you know, from the set of acantists perspective, for example, if he's not the Pope, then how can he do the consecration? Uh, and likewise, from the beneficentist perspective, right? Unless Benedict himself is doing it, and then to be like, okay, well, it's covered on that side. Uh, I guess, I, I really don't know, actually. Um, so I think the, one of the problems is going to be, there's already the naysayers, there's already people who don't, um, you know, expect this is actually going to accomplish anything at all, right? You know, they, they've, uh, whether because of a lacking of the virtue of hope or, you know, some other thing that's gone on. And um, you know, just for example here, here is a poll from Dr. Anthony Stein for his uh his circle of Twitter. Um is a lot of traditionalists of various sorts and uh and some people are conservative novice order that follow him and so I was actually pleased to see that uh 52% of uh you know Catholics say it'll do the job right? And then 27% say it won't. And and then 20%, no, he's not the Pope. So that, that's kind of interesting in his little circle. Um yeah. But I'm, I'm happy to see the more positive view on that from people in general, because there are a lot of people like, oh, yeah, this is this never be valid. Or, well, it'll be a nice try, but it won't be valid because he's saying Ukraine too. And I, again, I don't know how to wade through all those kind of things, but I think there should be Uh, you know, a good bit of hope that maybe this will be, you know, done, or even if it isn't the consecration, it's going to have very good effects for the world. I don't know. So that's, I would just say, and again, as I've said in other places, I'm not an expert on Fatima. I don't follow the details of the third secret or the, um, the, the, the consecration, what specific, how specifically that was set to be done and all the other issues with it all. But I think that the best thing that we can do is to pray the rosary and be, be part of the solution. Pray for the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. And even if you're skeptical that this will be the, the legit, real thing, or you're skeptical uh, for other reasons that, you know, whether or not he's really the Pope and that sort of thing, I would still yeah. say pray Pray. this will be... Don't be afraid of what this might show on the other side. Because um, that is one thing that, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who does not believe that Francis is the Pope, and this consecration really does accomplish the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, that's going to put... And you know, that'll at least put you in a bit of a difficult position. It would seem if it really accomplished it that way. But then again, that cuts the other way too, if it doesn't, and then you're standing and say, Hey, look, it, you know, it didn't happen. Obviously he's not the Pope. Right. So that argument, you know, that cuts both ways. It's not really a solution. The solution is just praying for the triumph of the immaculate heart and following the consequences of that, wherever that's going to lead.
0: Now, James, um, given what Ryan has said, uh, you know, I think I think we should definitely always have the theological virtue of hope, um, and we should we should certainly pray uh, that this consecration uh, is, is is acceptable and pleasing to Almighty God. At the same time, what Our Lady promised us or what she commanded us uh, in Fatima, Portugal in nineteen seventeen uh, was the conversion of Russia. Now, unless this happens miraculously and painlessly, it seems to me, James, that if this consecration is valid and it works, uh, that there's going to be a process of conversion for the Russians, and I'm not 100% convinced that that process is going to be necessarily painless or easy. <laughs> what do you what do you see coming down the pike?
7: Um, <clears throat> I don't want to speculate too much, but what what I do know, as you've just outlined, is uh, we we have to pray that the Pope's words are able to affect uh, what Our Lady promised. And if if such a thing were to happen, it would definitely come with our, our help as those who are united uh, to, to the Holy Father uh, with our prayers uh, for whatever doubts that may be in our minds, whatever trust that, of course, we have a right to perhaps be a little bit mistrustful over the last... Uh, 70, 70 years and this has not happened of course but we we uh, being promised uh, by the Pope's words should have that virtue of hope. Now of course when we talk about a total conversion we we are talking about something we, we may not even have the mind right now to uh, understand because such a thing has never happened in our lifetime. We know a total conversion for instance of uh, various peoples under uh, you know uh uh Our lady of uh um Guadalupe and uh mm-hmm. you know that was such a tremendous event if something were were to happen i would hope obviously uh that it would happen the way our lady en- envisions uh it to uh to happen but it's not to say that we cannot expect there will be some sort of i mean seeing how decadent the world has become how uh a, a morally reprehensible uh lives that we're living in our times you know especially after having been uh uh, christian nations you know it's not to say that such a thing would happen without uh without pain you know and i don't want to speculate how great that pain will be but it, it behooves us to before this event to get ourselves ready uh we need to go to confession we need to be in a state of grace and we need to uh perhaps uh pray that uh we're able to see this through however however it comes whatever whatever the the process is you know but but like you i'm thinking well you know uh this is something that she promised and and not in our time certainly speaking uh it could it could come with with some uh some serious uh some pain as you put it
0: yeah well uh, uh I, now, I want to add something that's absolutely breaking news. It's it's still he, hearsay at this point, but I'm going to bring it in to you, Brother Martin. Uh, a fellow Augustinian cleric that you know well has has put out a tweet on Twitter saying uh, that he's hearing anyway, that the rumors are circling that, that uh, Pope Benedict XVI will also be uh, participating in this consecration. Now uh with that being said uh that sort of mitigates in in my view anyway the downside risk from francis's point of view of like hey if i do this and it doesn't work then people will say you know all kinds of things about me uh what are your thoughts
8: on that i think edward penson was uh, reporting that too i don't think archbishop ginswine has uh, his the pope aneric secretary has officially said anything about it Um, but there are those rumors and i did see rumors also um on Facebook that Pope Michael will be joining <laughs> as well. And, and you know, so all the bases here seem to be covered. <laughs> <laughs> Every paper uh, claim it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it,
6: it, it. <laughs> well, the said of the cancel bishop it too?
8: Like That's a good question. And it says all the bishops of the world, so that, I mean, a valid bishop is a valid bishop. You, you think the ones in union with the Pope, but also Bishop Emeriti are the other the Bishop Emeriti are going to come in and do the consecrations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing is our, our lady asked for uh, you know, and all the world's bishops. Um, I don't think she was speaking to canon lawyers. I don't think she, you know. It's she she made her will known, um, and not to the to the specifics that we're we're still used to arguing about for the sake of argument, just for the sake of idle talk, you know. Um, but the conversion of Russia. I mean, I think each of us know at least one Slav, and can really. Give testimony to what kind of miracle it is for a Slav to change their mind and their heart. Uh, <laughs> and so, a whole nation of Slavs here, like this, this is like, um, yeah, this is this is going to be one heck of a miracle.
0: Now, this is this is a, this is a really big deal, Ryan. Uh, what we're witnessing because so many traditionalists, uh, you know, one of the one of the reasons why traditionalists get a bad rap in sort of like the mainst- mainstream institutional church is because a lot of times they're called Debbie Downers saying, Oh, they're hoping against the consecration. They don't want it to actually happen. You know, they want to pick on Francis Francis for all of, uh, of his various warts and blemishes. And there are so many that we probably shouldn't even address any of them uh, <laughs> right now, to be honest, but, but isn't it that, isn't it true that in the history and, and, and and again, I'm I'm not I'm not taking a strong position on this, but isn't it true that in the history of the church, in the history of salvation history, our Lord has used in many cases the most unlikely instrument, the person who you really least expected to accomplish his holy will. And then secondly, and I'll throw this second question to you and then also to Matt. I know our lady said, and I and I've seen it I've seen it quoted two ways. She said that the consecrations would be done, but they would be done late. And then uh, some people have added the word "too late" to that. Some people have said it's going to happen too late. Now I don't know which one is right. If it's if it's it's going to happen late, which means it's going to happen, but it's going to happen late, or it's going to happen too late, which means it's not going to happen on time, which means we're going to suffer. Um, I don't know which one of those is right, but trads get a bad rap on this stuff. What say you? You're
6: muted. In general, there is there is the you know the caricature of the dour faced trad. He's always mean and moping, and gets on the internet and commits against sins against charity against everyone else, right? And you know that does fit for a small minority of people. Uh, in general, trads I've known are usually just regular people trying to do regular things. And so, but on this issue, I've noticed, yeah, the, especially as the announcement came out, there are a lot of people already right then, well, it's not going to be valid. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to do it. Well, how do you know? Um, because don't forget who rules the church. It's not the St. Galen Mafia. It's not, um, you know, Pope Francis only in as much as he's the visible head. It's the Holy Spirit. That is guiding and bringing life, vivifying the church uh, throughout all of history. That's what when Christ says, I will be with you always, um, you know, it, it means that obviously in a couple of senses, one, through the sacraments, but two, through the guiding and power of the Holy Ghost. That is always going to be there guiding the church in the way of all truth, even if it doesn't look like it at a certain point because of the weakness or wickedness of men in the church. And so is it impossible that the Holy Ghost could have awakened in the mind of the world's bishops, uh, many of whom are, are hirelings or at least just mediocre. Um, some are very, some are okay. Some are good. Some are very great, um, you know, a precious few number on that side. But it's like, could the Holy Spirit waken up in in their hearts the, the, the need to conform to, and, and also in the Pope, who has done so many things that um, at least appear to be contrary to tradition. Yes, he can. And he can't if that's if God's permissive will is to and, and in in this case actually His providential will is to move the church in this direction. He will put it on the hearts of the clergy, and give them the graces they need to carry out that action. Uh, however bad you, they they are or appear to be, otherwise you know, and in, in if it is that it'll make that happen. You look at in the Old Testament, they always give the example of Balaam's ass, where uh, you know. The, the donkey cries out and, and, and blesses the people of Israel when uh, the prophet was paid to condemn them, right? You, you've got things of that sort where God, you know, you have a donkey used for this purpose. Um, you, you have other cases, too. Fishermen and people who were not aesthetics, they were not the scholars of Israel. They were just kind of your, the equivalent of your truck drivers. And these are the people that Christ chose to come with him. And to preach the gospel, right, to to the whole world. And they are the very pillars and foundation of the visible church as we see it. Um, so if, if God can do that, then, you know, it is certainly out of wicked men as we have now. He can bring about changes. I mean, even the Reformation, you get someone like Pope Paul III, who was a lackey under the Borgias and did whatever, you know, unspeakable crimes were there. He had mistresses, he had grandchildren. But then one day, all of a sudden, he wakes up. Out of this stupor and, and and starts to get a devotional life together, dismisses his mistress, starts li- trying to live a holy life and yeah. begin devoting himself to the to the uh, Cardinal Farnese uh, devotes himself to reforming the church. He wasn't absolutely perfect, but he was the right man at the right time to get the machinery of the church moving to reform. That's how you get to the Council of Trent. You don't get there without a Paul III. That's how you get to. The Jesuits, uh, back again, back when that was a good thing, um, you know, they came at just the right time and he was just the right pope. Another pope might have, you know, completely uh, dismissed them to begin with. And then all the great works that those saintly men who were the original founders. And, you know, the original group of Jesuits would never, you know, you think of your Edmund Campions and your Peter Canisius and Robert Bellerman's. If this one guy who was a, living a pretty bad life as a cardinal hadn't been turned around. Right. Or uh, Charles Borromeo was living a fairly lackadaisical life as a cardinal until he read the spiritual exercises of Ignatius and mm-hmm. then gets serious about feeding the poor. And that's how he becomes this reformist cardinal that uh, eventually becomes the Bishop of Milan. So God can use weak, pathetic, uh, even bad instruments in the church to accomplish his end. So I wouldn't write it off just for yeah. that reason. Yeah. Um, the, that also doesn't mean you gotta, you know, you know, be clapping like seals when it's all over. If if the, you know, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it, the the effect has been accomplished. But we should at least have some hope that maybe that's what God's moving right now. And I yeah. wouldn't put that down or act like it's nothing. And I can no, I, I,
4: I can respond yeah. to the question about the whether it's late or too late if you want. So yeah, not for um, me, so.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so yeah, ju- um. Just for those who may not be all that familiar with the history of Fatima, so that you know, Our Lady appeared a total of six times in 1917, May to October, to three little children in Fatima, Portugal. The oldest of the three, Lucia, is the only, is the one who survived. The younger, her two younger cousins, Francisco and Jacinta, uh, died as Our Lady uh, revealed that they would at a young age, and they willingly offered that up as a sacrifice uh, in reparation for sinners to be saved from going to hell. So Lucia lived a full life, and after the 1917 apparitions, periodically throughout her life as a religious, either Our Lady or Our Lord would appear to her or would speak to her uh, like an interlocution, I I believe is how sometimes it happened, and one of those occasions was when she was in Spain, uh, in Riano, Spain, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, So I'm looking at the the Fatima Center website. Fatima.org has a lot of great resources. And I also have um, all three volumes of Frère Michel's uh, pretty much definitive work on Fatima. These books are very thick, full of footnotes. I mean, it's Cardinal Burke in a 2017 speech referred to this three-volume work as, quote, a monumental study of the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima. And Frère Michel recounts, About this uh, 1931, I don't think our Lord actually appeared visibly, but he spoke to Sister Lucia and he said, well, this is Lucia's account of what happened. My confessor ordered me to inform your excellency about what happened a little while ago. So she's um, writing to her bishop between our good God and myself. As I was asking God for the conversion of Russia, Spain and Portugal, it seemed that his divine majesty said to me. You console me a great deal in asking me for the conversion of those poor nations. Requested also of my mother, while saying to her often, Sweetheart of Mary, be the salvation of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, and the whole world. At other times, this is still our Lord speaking, Say, by thy pure and immaculate conception, O Mary, obtain for me the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, and the whole world. So here, you know, speaking of the, the moral degeneracy, it's obviously not unique to Russia. It is it is the whole world, even back then it was. So the whole world is certainly in need of conversion. And I think Russia is going to be that instrument to help us, uh, you know, re-Christianize the world. That will be the miracle. But anyway, getting back to this uh, question of whether it's late or too late, um, our Lord makes a, an allusion to the situation with St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in 1689. He says, uh, of course, when when he requested the consecration of France to his sacred heart. So he told Lucia in 1931, make it known to my ministers, given that they follow the example of the King of France and delaying the execution of my command. That's because the King of the Kings of France, starting with Louis the 14th, 15th, and then finally 16th, uh, put off doing the consecration. Our Lord says to Lucia, they will follow him into misfortune. But then he says, it is never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary. And then on another occasion, our Lord told Lucia, "Um, they did not wish to heed my request, meaning the Pope and the bishops to do the consecration of Russia. So he says, like the King of France, they will repent of it and they will do it, but it will be late. So he didn't say too late, as far as I know. He just said late, late in the game. Russia will have already spread its errors in the world, provoking wars and persecutions against the church. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. And this seems to correspond to Jacinta when she was still living, also had some uh, visions that were apart from the you know main apparitions of Our Lady in nineteen seventeen, May to October. She described seeing the Pope, you know, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the quote in front of me, but the Pope in a big open, uh, in a big church kneeling down, like weeping, and people were outside throwing things at the building and wanting to go in and martyr him and that kind of stuff. And, And she asked Lucia, you know, she described the vision to Lucia to ask, you know, help me understand what am I seeing here? Does this have to do with the secret? And Lucia said, yes, so you can't talk about it because that that would reveal the secret. So I think things are, as you alluded to earlier, Mike, things are going to get worse before they get better. And that seems to align with lots of other uh, private revelations and prophecies throughout the centuries about some sort of a major world conflict, world war, um, where Russia is one of the main actors in that war. So we shall see what had, could be could be starting before our very eyes. We don't know.
0: Well, i I think it's not. I think it's not uh, coincidental, James, that uh, as we look at the news cycle right now, we're going to be talking about Hunter Biden's laptop, and we got some Nancy Pelosi clips. We have some domestic policy that we're going to get to as well. But this may be one of the most consequential events in our life. We may be witnessing history. James. We may be witnessing the fact.
4: Now. Um, If I could add one other thing real quick, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, do it. So something else that people have been pointing out, because every like Ryan alluded to, lots of people are fussing about the fact that it's not exclusively Russia, that Ukraine is also being mentioned in this consecration. Well, Bishop Schneider actually just today through LifeSite released uh, some comments about that, and he has some interesting insights. You guys have probably uh, considered this as well. So this is what His Excellency says. Quote, in the year 1917, when the mother of God spoke of Russia, the territory of present day Ukraine belonged to Russia. Uh, At the time, Ukraine did not exist technically as an independent nation, but only Russia. That is why today, he says, it makes sense to mention Ukraine. One, uh, would one only mention Russia today, the entire territory of present day Ukraine would not be included but this territory was part of Russia in 1917. So interesting insight.
0: Yeah. Uh, and his excellency grew up in one of the, uh, you know, part of the Russian satellites as well. And uh, actually his book, uh, "Christus Vinci" is that, uh, I, do I have my copy, my signed copy on my bookshelf? Yes. Uh, he, uh, he, he talks in the first part of the book about his upbringing and how his, his grandparents would recite, uh, the the entire catechism of the Catholic Church while while working um, you know basically in the gulags uh, uh, hard labor outside cold Siberia anyway okay so let's um, let's do this James and then brother I want to do the topic of Benedict because prior to today. Uh, I think a lot of naysayers were saying, "Okay, this is you know, this is a psyop. This is meant to distract. This is a Masonic consecration." Some of the language that others have used, and and even some nuncios around the world have used, uh, or or presidents of bishops' conferences and and things, has has been disturbing. I mean, it, it isn't it isn't clearly 100% squarely within the Fatima strike zone, and I grant that um at, additionally uh brother I'll, I'll, you go first i think i think we have been given sufficient reason to be skeptical when francis says he's going to do a thing um that is going to be done exactly as as uh we expect and so uh i want to i want to sort of play devil's advocate here as well because i don't necessarily want to condemn anyone who has a healthy degree of skepticism let's say. For what may or may not happen on the 25th and we i don't think we're going to have a rundown between now and then so this is this is our chance to discuss this before it happens but with the information that we have available to us right now uh before knowing that benedict the 16th or cardinal ratzinger whatever we're supposed to call him was going to be participating in this and then after knowing that uh does that change your mind at all brother martin does does that alleviate any skepticism you might have do you do you do you find yourself hoping and believing that this may finally be the request the fulfillment of our lady's request or do you still have some degree of skepticism remaining and then james i'll ask you the same question
8: to be honest uh, to not be a pessimist um i want this to be it obviously i'm not trying to find ways um to argue against it or anything like that however we do know going all the way back to the book of exodus and leviticus uh when when our lord freed his people from uh, the bondages of, of sin of, of slavery to the egyptians he led them out to the desert primarily for worship that was that was the reason for worship not because he saw them suffering so much as the fact that he wanted them to worship him um for their own for their own good obviously um, but because they were his own and the book of Leviticus, I mean, the Levites is the book of the priests, um, has very specific rules about worshiping God. Very, very specific. And this this was always the way the Israelites worshipped. Um, when God told you something, you did it exactly the way he told you. If He said, do not touch the Ark of the Covenant, even if it's falling over. You know, somebody touched it and they died because our Lord said, do not touch the Ark of the Covenant. Um and it's, it, that's the same attitude we've always had for the Mass. Is the Mass is the Mass. It's not so much that we're rigidity or we think it's magic or something that it only works if it's done the right way. However, um, it's our obedience to God's will um, that, that is the sacrifice. It's us doing what He wants because He wants it.
4: That's really grated on my nerves when you mentioned the magic thing. I've seen that floating around, like the consecration is not magic. Well, of course it's not magic, but obedience to god is not magic like it wasn't yeah. magic when the israelites obeyed uh, at the battle of jericho and marched around the city exactly how god told them to do you know i forget <laughs> forgive me i forget exactly what the, the well the uh, instructions you know, but, were
0: but you no know, but this is a good point matt because the, the fact of the matter is is that many bishops in the united states have proven themselves to be naturalists naturalists disbelieve Specifically in in grace and in the supernatural and in miracles. Uh, They proven themselves to be naturalists because they shut down the churches in the face of the sniffles. Uh, They proven themselves to be naturalists insofar as they were much more concerned with your bodily health than with the health of your soul. Uh, And they withheld, they specifically withheld the graces available to us in the sacraments uh, in, in exchange for supposedly trying to look out for our. the the natural health of our body so they are naturalists and so a lot of naturalists do view uh uh, miracles brother martin as as just being you know magic or superstition or not real you know they don't actually believe that the red sea was ever parted they don't believe that that happened
8: and that's that was kind of my attitude towards you know are they going to do it correctly well i don't think they care to do it correctly to be honest and that's and that's that's why I, I have some sort of hesitation, some, some sort of pause, because mm-hmm. I don't I don't think with all the you know accusations of being rigid uh, that the Holy Father has has launched out at us. Um, I don't I don't think. I mean, he he won't look at the the you know Our Lady of Fatima and say, okay, what what is prescribed? What is Our right. Lady really saying? And then look at the prayer of consecration and make sure it's going to match. I mean, frankly,
4: probably the, the, the of... modernist minded bishops around the world, they may not even believe in the reality of Fatima at all for all we know. Mm-hmm. So who knows, yeah. but all, I mean, all we can do is pray. And what does St. Padre Pio say, pray hope and and don't worry. So, you know, don't worry too much anyway. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, what about the Benedict factor for you, brother Martin? Uh, do you think, I, I mean, in this case I would say you know more is more uh welcome to the party. We want every single bishop in the world he's a, he's a he's definitely still a bishop uh, and perhaps more uh but but the fact that he's gonna be standing side by side shoulder to shoulder with Francis does that alleviate in your mind any concern that this is? you know, another false flag or another false start or another, you know, uh,
8: PSYOP even. I, I never really thought of it from that perspective. It was always, you know, the first thing that comes out of me, you know, with state of the context existing is that if this works, it obviously, you know, Trump's the state of the context proving proven them wrong. If it doesn't work... I'm going to rebel with that if that's true. <laughs> it's either too late or uh, yeah. or uh, he's not the Pope, something like that, you know, where they are right. Uh, with Benedict, now we have men of a contest out there. Um, and so they, they think, I, I've never bought into the or what or whatever they like to call it. Um, but the fact that two men are in white, sure, it's uh, it's an anomaly. I don't know if there's gonna, ever going to be another moment in history like that. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It doesn't really raise a whole lot of alarms for me.
0: Okay. What about you, James, in terms of the idea that you have, you know, Pope Emeritus or, uh, or Cardinal Ratzinger or Pope Benedict, the 16th, I don't, I don't know what to call the man in white with red shoes in Rome. He says he's not the pope, but he's going to be there too. Uh, does this just seal the deal? Does this make, does this alleviate any doubt in your mind at this point? You know,
7: just like brother was saying, I haven't uh, thought too much about that because uh, we, we, I mean, we've been operating under the idea that uh, Francis has been pope for the last. 11, 11, years now. Is it uh, nine. Sorry, nine years? What he just said it was nine, uh, nine years. Yep. Yeah. Nine years. Uh, I don't want to think of nine 11, but
4: uh, <laughs> it feels like a lot longer than that to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
7: But yeah, but, but in any case, um, you know, uh, Pope Benedict, uh emeritus, whatever you want to call him, is still a bishop, you know? And so, by virtue of him being a bishop, uh, and as uh, uh, Matt was reading that letter, basically, there is the letter of the law, you know, understanding what bishop, the term uh, a bishop encompasses, you know, even those, I suppose, uh, the uh, society bishops, uh, you know, uh, any other bishop out there that's supposedly in union with the Pope, I I would, you know, assume um, since you
4: mentioned, I don't mean to interrupt, but since you mentioned the society of bishops, I just wanted to throw out there that um, I have heard from a reliable source that the society is watching this develop. They are basically waiting for the, the text of the, the prayer of consecration to come out to kind of review it and see if it's going to be legit before they publicly sign on to this. But they are watching sure. it uh, with, yeah, with sure. great yeah. attention.
0: I have sure. heard the same thing and and I think James yeah. that they, that that uh all four of the society bishops are prepared to do this in union so, uh if if the prayer is sufficiently uh meets the requirements as set forth by our lady. Yeah. That I mean right exactly
7: and and that is my concern not that my concern holds any weight. I I I'm hopeful that this consecration is is valid in the sense that it is done with the intention uh, 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 the verbiage and the intention that, that pleases heaven, and so that is my hope. And we can't do anything to change that except, like I said, to prepare to go to confession, uh, to go to confession, to be in a state of grace, and to pray so that uh, things might happen that we don't ordinarily, uh, you know, ascribe to Pope Francis and his pontificate.
9: You know, yeah. so this is a yeah. matter
7: for the Holy Spirit, for heaven. But uh, in closing, I'd like to say this. I, I want to add something to what Matt was saying earlier on, uh, and this is not to sort of uh, call out, you know, anybody who has a different view, uh, but I'm, I'm wondering, maybe we should also think about this, you know, so we talk about the idea because everyone's uh, talking about this idea, you know, even uh, uh, Bishop Schneider talked about it, the idea of Russia and Ukraine, uh, you know, mentioned being mentioned in the prayer. I, I of course am thinking. Well, you know, if Our Lady did want to mention Ukraine back then, she would have measured. Uh, she would have mentioned it in the same way she mentioned the war is going to end. But if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out under the pontificate of Pope Pius XI. So she spoke about the future, and so that's the context in which I'm sort of looking at this. And, I, and of course, I I, I don't know uh, what. Should be the appropriate response, but I'm hopeful again that uh, everything that is done is done with the intention of doing what our Lady has asked us to do. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'll, just, I, I'll just, I'll just echo.
4: I'll go ahead.
0: I'll just I echo resist. one thing that you said, and I'll kick it over to you, Matt. Sure. I, I think it's. I think you're right. I think you're right about the idea that there, w- there are probably going to be bishops who participate in this consecration, who don't really buy it, who don't really have either. They're not invested in the Fatima a message. They don't really believe in supernatural grace. And they certainly don't believe in miracles. You know, they're, they're bureaucrats. They're like little mini, you know, CEOs, mid-level managers of their, <laughs> of their areas. They're, 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 Politicians.
4: Peter Kwaszewski has a great article about that at Catholic Family News. By the way, it's called "Is the Pope the Vicar of Christ or CEO of Vatican
0: Inc?" It's
4: a good, it's a good read. Nice. Nice <laughs> it's, a,
0: it's a great question, and and I think, but but I think you know we are so we are so miserable, and we are so pathetic, Matt, that Our Lady will even work with that if you just. Say the red, you know, say the red and do the black, right? If you just, if you just do that, you don't even have to believe, but just say the red and do the black. Our lady Mm -hmm. can work with that. What do you think?
4: Oh, absolutely. I was just going to say, you know, Ryan uh, could maybe comment on this uh, sacramental intention that, you know, the Holy see has ruled in the past. I forget when it was exactly. I think it was in the 1800s, maybe under Pius, the, the ninth, perhaps, or Leo the 13th where, Somebody wrote into the Holy office about, um, wondering if a Methodist baptism was valid because the minister, the Methodist minister explicitly said before doing the baptism, something like, you know, this is not going to regenerate your soul, but they used the proper matter, the proper form and the Vatican, the Holy, the Holy office did rule that it was a valid baptism. So it kind of speaks to, to, uh, what Mike was just saying that, yeah, just, um, as long as they, I think the the key term that has to be there in my humble opinion is definitely consecrate because that has, that's very, our lady has always used the term consecrate in reference to this as well as our Lord. And the, the word literally means, I mean, Ryan would know better with his the linguistic skills right. to set apart, to make something holy for the service of God. And that's really what's going on here with the consecration of Russia is to set Russia aside for the work, the mission, the divine mission to which God has called that nation by his own uh, good, you know, by his own decision. It's kind of, it reminds me of uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, where I'll just read, it says um, uh, it's regarding uh, Saul and Barnabas, so before St. Paul changed his name, And as they were ministering to the Lord, a group of them, and fasting, the Holy Ghost said to them, this is Acts 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, separate to me Saul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have taken them. Then they, fasting and praying, imposing their hands upon them, sent them away. So that's how I understand this, this consecration of Russia, is it's the it's more than just a, an exorcism of the nation. It's more than just getting rid of the evil. It's actually opening the floodgates of grace upon that nation and, and making them, um, you know, capable of doing whatever God has planned for that nation to do. I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts about that.
0: Yeah. I want to, I want to bring Ryan in. Uh, we'll do a lot. Last, last thoughts on this consecration, Ryan. Yeah. Um in light of the fact that it looks like there's a war happening in the region it looks like we're at the end of the 100 years that we're you know that we were given it looks like we have the two popes, <laughs> you know mentioned by by various catholic mystics uh it looks like this truly is it's happening it's, it's the fulfillment of various catholic prophecies in our lifetime i mean it's a pretty exciting time to be alive <laughs>
6: Well, and in a certain sense, any exciting to be alive because that's the time when God chose for you to live. So that alone should make it useful, even though there's not, not once in a while where I wouldn't mind being whisked back to the Renaissance or something like that, but <clears throat> or the 12th century or something of that nature. But nevertheless, um, and thank you, Matt, for the, for the plug, but everything you said was correct on, on the linguistic points and the sacramental points. And, you know, it's the, when God has said, do this uh, and you do it, sacramentally speaking, the effect takes place ex opere operato, you know, by the work that has been worked, right? There, there's no yeah. translation that's good in English, so we just import the Latin technical term in. And, and it essentially means that it's, you know, by the very fact you did it, it was done. And so with the sacraments, um, just by the words and nothing else, um, you know, that, that's that's the sacrament of baptism, or in the case of Eucharist, any valid priest, just by doing the words with the right matter, you have the sacrament. Right. It doesn't require any other jurisdictions or um, anything else for validity. It's just there.
0: But, isn't so, it, and, but, but you do have to have the intention, though.
6: To a point. You have to, but it's a very minimal intention, and it's purposely very broad. You have to have the intention to do the church does. So St. Robert Bellarmine actually takes this up and his treatise on the sacraments, and, uh, which I published, on the sacraments in general, as well as baptism and confirmation. And there he, he deals with the question, but what if the, uh, you know, the minister means to baptize according to the Church of Geneva? His intention is to do what the Church of Geneva does, but he still uses the proper form and, and matter. And Bellerman says it'll still be valid because he simply has a defect of knowledge as to what the true church is. But what he means to do is to do what the true church does. Because you wouldn't be in that church doing it unless you believed it's the true church. And so, as long as that very minimal intention is there to do what the church does, in that sense that it is the true church, it will still be valid. And the interior disposition of the minister, in terms of his belief about the you know the, the the nature of the sacrament or uh, his denial of Catholic. Uh, teaching on the sacrament—it's it, irrelevant. Same thing when uh, you know, with the Greek churches form, you know, the servant of God is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. the The fact that certain Greek priests in the time, you know, when that was uh, devised, according to certain Latin authors, and I don't know if this is true—I haven't looked into it too much further—but Bellerman says certain Greek pre, uh, you know, uh, bishops had brought that in to deny Catholic baptism. And he said, well, it doesn't matter. It's still a valid baptism because it's still using the words and, you know, in the matter. It just puts it in the passive, but it, the same relationship between the subject and the object exists. So it uh, just, it's just grammatically reworded. Same thing. It just doesn't directly express the minister. And so they might have the attention that, you know, yeah, we're against what's going on in Rome, but it doesn't matter because the sacrament's still valid. So anyway, so getting back to, meandering back to, Fatima, if at least from, you know, and I'm the last person to ask on, because I, I've, I've been a number of times said, yeah, I, I just don't go into all the books and everything.
0: You're, you're um, the second to last person to ask on it. I am yeah, the hard. last person to so, ask But on.
6: if everything I've gathered is correct on this subject, is that Our Lady says, you know, for Russia to be consecrated, and um, it actually is done according to the way um, which we will find out. Uh, but if it is done according to that way, it would seem that it's going to have the effect. But then the next question is, what's the effect? Um, and actually, and I wouldn't mind for Matt to talk more about what the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is, if he knows that either from Frere Michel or from uh, other words. It 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 does
0: appear, Matt, that we have 35 years of suffering ahead of us.
4: (laughs) Well, one thing I do want to, I do want to share a quote that I've uh, found, but it's by a, from a a confrère of Frere Michelle. uh, Let's see here. So this quote is from Father Joaquin Alonso, who was the official Fatima archivist for, you know, 10 or 15 years, I forget how many, he died in 1981. And this quote I found in Frère François de Marie uh, de Agnès, who I believe was a confrere of of Frère Michel. And this is what he says regarding how Sister Lucia understood the conversion of Russia. Because as we, you know, just going back to Our Lady's original promise in 1917 uh, she said quote uh, in the end my immaculate heart will triumph the holy father will consecrate Russia to me so again that word consecrate is crucial and she shall be converted and a period of peace will be granted to the world so that's the sequence of things Russia is consecrated then it's converted and then a period of peace will be granted to the world. Those things don't all happen simultaneously in time. I think they're going to be probably spread out a bit. But regarding uh, the definition of conversion, this is what uh, Father Alonso had to say after his many conversations with Sister Lucia. Quote, Lucy has always thought that the conversion of Russia does not extend only to a return of the Russian people to the Christian Orthodox religion. That's huge, because we hear that a lot. Oh, you, Russia's having a Christian revival. They're building Orthodox churches, You know, a new church every four days or something like that. Well, this is what Father Alonzo says. Lucy has always thought that the conversion of Russia does not extend only to a return of the Russian people to the Christian Orthodox religion, which is objectively schismatic and, and heretical in certain ways. Uh, while rejecting, he says, the Marxist atheism of the Soviets, but that it, meaning the conversion of Russia, refers simply and fully to the total and integral conversion by a return to the unique and true Roman Catholic Church, end quote. Now, as I said in a, a 2017 talk at the Fatima Center, that doesn't mean that the Russian people will have to embrace the Roman right of Catholicism, they'll certainly be able to retain their their Byzantine Slavonic uh, liturgy, her, you know, cultural heritage, all of that. Uh, just like, so I, in uh, 2017, I gave a talk called The End of Islam, Russia's Future Role. Maybe you can have me back on, we can talk about that subject sometime. But uh, I started out the talk, with referring to a one of the few eastern saints that's on the traditional roman calendar saint joseph at kunchevich on november 14th who is the, who was the ruthenian, ruthenian catholic archbishop of Pol- polotsk i think i said that right in belarus which is north of ukraine and he was martyred in 1623 for his fidelity to rome and his success in bringing many ruthenian orthodox souls back into communion with rome but they didn't become Latin Rite Catholics. They stayed Eastern Rite. So when Russia is converted, um, I, I highly doubt that they're going to embrace, most of them anyway, will probably not embrace, you know, the traditional Latin mass, but they'll retain their Eastern heritage, but they'll be in union with Rome. That'll be the main thing.
0: Okay, uh, interesting. Brother Martin, final uh, comments on on this consecration. Uh, and my question to you to tee up your your final thoughts as well. We hear so often from the, I call them the neocons, you know, the people who believe that truth and error can coexist side by side with each other. Uh, other people call them John Paul II Catholics, whatever conservative, or, little o Orthodox. The the JP two lovers like to say that this has already been done. JP two, he consecrated the whole world. Aren't we? Implicitly witnessing by the requests of the bishops in Eastern Europe, who are saying, "Please consecrate Russia," that Russia wasn't consecrated, and that this lie that has been repeated and repeated and repeated by all the JP two lovers out there—that he consecrated the whole world and therefore that includes Russia—aren't we finally? Aren't we finally unmasking that lie and confronting it? Or am I just? Or am, am I crazy?
8: I think, I think the, the neocons, I, I call them that too, um, they live in just their, their small little bubble, their small little headspace and to know that other rights even exist and that they're, those other rights are in other parts of the world and that, that they're not susceptible to their um, small little circle of Catholic culture, you know, of, of J, uh, J2P2 worshiping and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, it was actually pretty, pretty remarkable because they showed a video of, of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima arriving in Ukraine in the cathedral in Kiev, and it was it was remarkable. They were all wearing blue vestments, of course, and uh-huh. two deacons there with the incense and singing Marian hymns. Uh, the 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 melody was immac- uh, Immaculate Mary, and it was it was just a very unique res- for me that this is this is where this, this comes from. From this video, it shocked me that there's there are these Catholics that that uh. I guess aren't on Twitter and aren't being influenced by the the J two P two neocons of, of the United States of America, um, but actually can think for themselves. Also look look at uh, apparitions for themselves. Um, look at the church from kind of their own sewer jurisdiction, kind of separated from from Rome, but not separated from Rome. Obviously, completely in communion. Um, but over there in Ukraine, doing their own thing and, li- and living their own Catholic faith, um, they can they can look at things a little bit more objectively because they don't they don't have. Uh, the oppression of that popular movement here in the United States, the neocons. And so uh, I guess to answer your question, I guess, I mean, I guess that, that's kind of it is, is uh, I, I think that much more of the church is able to look at, at this objectively um, rather than with an agenda to say, oh, it's been done because J2P2, our favorite, he was our guy. He was super orthodox. You know, he, he never said anything wrong. He never did anything wrong. Um and especially being so close to Poland as well. I know the, the, the polls love, uh, John Paul II, second, but, um, I mean, think they, 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 they can look at things more objectively than a lot of Americans can, I think.
0: Uh, all right. Uh, and we will wait and see what happens on the 25th. We hope and pray that it is exactly what is it, what it is supposed to be. And pleasing to our, our Lord and that our lady can work with it. Um, That ends our segment on Fatima. That's the first hour of the show in the books. We have so many things to get to. Let's take a quick break. Did you know Hunter Biden had a laptop and you were called a conspiracy theorist and kicked off of YouTube if you talked about it?
10: I I have a different question. How thick are the thieves of truth? Because I remember another media outlet. And let's go ahead and and throw them in as a media outlet and not some just outlier of social platform Twitter. Because remember, they want to put their thumb on the scale about what is factual and what is information and what is disinformation and and what is disqualification. All of that. So I guess they think they're journalists. Mm -hmm. So let's just do the mind experiment for just a second and pretend like they're journalists. So how thick are the thieves of truth? Because if you even tweeted, retweeted, talked about tweeting the New York Post true and real story about Hunter Biden, his ties with energy, right? Oil companies. And the millions, potentially billions of dollars that were wrapped up in deals with him sitting on energy boards with no prior work experience to do so. And in an admission on 60 Minutes, he said, I use my dad's name. Mm. So we know the tying together. And why do we care about all of this? If you're a journalist, you know the answer. It's nonpartisan. It is because when an American president has a conduit for bribery or vulnerability, like a son on drugs who'll do pretty much anything, Hunter Biden, and get caught doing it. That vulnerability exposes all of us as citizens. We care. We want our president not only to be successful, but to be nationally secured. Is he compromised? Yes. is he compromised that's the that's the whole issue of the story and if what you say is true that there was some political or or I guess it's being talked about everywhere that well was this about politics because the media wanted their own candidate in there they liked the guy or they hated the last guy clearly they hated Trump that's just not the american way
0: Ryan uh there was a laptop there was some stuff on it uh, it involves the ukraine it's very timely it's the son of the president of the United States. He has uh, ties to the Ukraine and to energy um, and, and some other pretty nefarious and nasty stuff on there true I guess it's all true.
6: It certainly is. Uh, well, we kind of already knew that frankly, just because of the uh, political, um, you know, I don't know what to even call it. Um, basically the media suppression of a legitimate news story that for really no good reason that, that I can see. So let's look at, um, you know, some things. Let's go down the memory hole, if we will, um, in just a moment, if I can do this correctly. Um, there we are. Okay, Nope, not there. NPR, public editor. This is from back, uh, when was this, last year? Um, anyway. Uh, It is not uncommon for a Trump loyalist to agree to participate in an interview and then attack the interviewer in order to score points with the president in his base. Morning edition of Steve Inskeep ran into one of these buzzsaws Tuesday when he tried to interview the author and former White House staff, Michael Anton. The interview went off the rails after Anton suggested that before Trump was elected, liberals were monopolizing America's cultural institutions, etc. And this goes on, and then it goes into the Hunter Biden laptop and why we're not going to cover it as, as they, they go, you know, we're, we're just not going to pay any attention to this thing. And so as they go through it, it, it's, it's, it's loony, but then we come over here. So here is PolitiFact. Um, on the investigations into Hunter Biden and, but but there's nothing to see here folks. And that's the, uh, the basic story that they got, and all the fact checkers came out, of course, that oh yeah, there was nothing here, nothing to see, and uh, and now oh yeah, there is now that the guy's elected, we don't have to worry about it. Oh yeah, you know, of course, uh, you know there was something here, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. Don't don't pay attention to this. So Hunter's by Hunter Biden's laptop had a lot of information about how money was uh, being divvied up. Along with uh you know pictures of strippers and uh, uh Biden with a crack pipe and things like this <laughs> <laughs> it, modeling and, uh, in his whitey sport. tighties.
0: Right. Ten <laughs> yeah. percent of the big um, guy, right? Remember yeah, ten percent of the, the big
6: guy. As in the vice at the time, the the vice president or the former vice president, Joe Biden. Why? Um this is the way that foreign aid works. So like the the package they just sent out last week of uh, how many trillions of dollars going abroad when they say we're going to give foreign aid to such and such a country, such as back under Obama, you know, after the 2014 coup that um, American forces staged over in Ukraine, we said, yeah, they need all this foreign aid. And next thing you know, uh, Joe Biden's son, Nancy Pelosi's son, and some other high-level Democrat son were all over on Ukrainian gas companies <laughs> that were receiving the foreign aid that the U S was sending over there. And then that same foreign aid is coming back to them in the way of salaries. And then it's coming back over here in bank accounts. And uh, so much would go to various people in their families, like little mafia families or something. Yeah. That's how foreign aid works. Foreign aid is just a big money laundering scheme. So people freaked out COVID relief bill of, of, uh, 2020 when, um, they, they said they're allocating like $7 billion for studying gender assignment therapy in Pakistan. And it's like, how is this in a bill? Yeah. Because that's going to go to some NGO that's run you know, by someone in Congress somewhere. And that money is going to come back over here. Foreign aid is money laundering. Or it's going to be siphoned away to pay off, um, you know, various interests in those countries. That's how it all works. So the Hunter Biden laptop is a damning thing right before the presidential uh, selection of uh, 2020.
0: And and let's be honest, if we had free and fair elections in these United States, Joe Biden would not have won so-called 80 million votes if... The, if the news media had reported accurately on the laptop, on what his son was in possession of, Matt mm-hmm. at Catholic Family News, you guys did a pretty good story right up here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually a vid- 21- it's a great March.
4: video interview with with one of the men who has actually examined the hard drive for himself. Jack Maxey um, has actually because he was an associate of Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani. At, Giuliani got his hands on some copies of the hard drive and Jack Maxey was got one of those and was able to uh, start going through it and he he, what used to be on Twitter, got kicked off of Twitter after posting, you know, stuff from the, the laptop that was corroborating what other people were saying was on there and such. So yeah, I highly recommend people take a take a listen, take a watch of that video. It's very good.
0: Uh. Using as as uh, careful language as you can with the knowledge that some people might be listening or watching uh, in, in earshot of their children, how bad is a laptop, Matt?
4: Um, as I recall, you know, the language that they were using, they were calling it the hard drive from H-E uh, double hockey sticks. Like oh it's, it's, that, it's that bad. It's the hard drive from H-E-L-L. So it, okay. it has right. horrible, right. disgusting stuff on it. Talk, talking about groomers, I mean, there there yeah. is incriminating evidence that Hunter was uh, had inappropriate dealings. We'll say with his minor uh, nieces, I believe it was. Yep, or did, all that kind of stuff. Terrible,
6: yep. terrible stuff.
0: Yep. Uh, let's get into groomers. Uh, this is gonna be a tough segment. Wait a minute. Actually,
6: one one uh, side question though for uh, for Matt um are you familiar with how um because i remember there was a murky story about how that laptop was even obtained um you know someone who brought it to or, or hunter biden brought it to a repair place apparently and never picked it up and the guy looked at what was on it if i remember was the original story and then giuliani took possession of it do you remember those details uh,
4: as as i recall i'd have to look back at you know the sources but as i can recall the guy, the the owner of the tech shop where Hunter brought the laptop for repair, uh, once he realized what was on it, he didn't. And then the one day the feds showed up and were kind of bullying him, wanting the laptop. Um, so before that happened, he just had the good sense to make some copies of the hard drive for his own protection, so that he, you know. Yeah just in but, case he might need them. That's my understanding. He made several copies, exact copies of the hard drive, and that's how they got distributed. Uh, yeah. I think Giuliani somehow, I forget the story of how he caught up with, with the, the owner of that shop. Um, but that's my understanding of how Rudy Giuliani came into possession of a copy of the hard drive and then Jack Maxey got it from Giuliani. That's my recollection.
0: What we've witnessed, uh, even in conservative circles, so-called conservative circles, folks who follow this man, uh, Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin is a uh, cultural and ethnic Jew who is a conservative, so-called. And he and his life partner are now uh, the surrogate parents, I guess, or or they're taking from surrogate moms. Two Little Babies, and even conservatives from Blaze News, which is Glenn Beck's organization, Libs of TikTok here. You can see them congratulating them on Twitter, Brother Martin. Uh, the GOP has capitulated when it comes to the issues of life and family.
8: Absolutely. Uh, I think Megan Kelly was also on there. With all capital letters congratulations um both republicans and democrats they're, they're both far left uh than, than, than catholicism is and neither are our friends as the saying goes conservatives are just five years behind the progressives um because the conservatives are just conserving conserving really just their own their own material comfort they're not conserving uh morals as taught by our lord jesus christ they're just simply conserving what they're used to because they I guess they can't change as fast as everybody else from, from approving one thing to the next. Um, so it's actually it's it's quite pathetic. I mean, it, we know that now when we vote Republicans, all that kind of stuff. This is this is what we're standing for. Um, we're we all I think still so lazy in, in trying to find another alternative solution uh, because an alternative solution would talk, would start small and be unsuccessful at, at first. Um, but I think it's 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 necessary to to really find these alternative solutions because. I mean, we're just giving ourselves five, ten years before we're going to end up with the, what the Democrats want today if we, if we, if we uh, continue for the Republican Party and and American conservatism.
0: Ryan, uh, this seems to be the, the most despicable display of human trafficking imaginable. You're trafficking human life, and you are uh, literally ripping human life from, you know, from from their biological mothers and fathers, and giving them to people. Uh, and depriving those children of their natural right to have a mother and a father. I mean, I, when Our Lady at Fatima said that the final battle will be about the family, I I don't think that I don't think anyone in 1917 could imagine that this is exactly what she meant.
6: I don't think so either. But also, don't forget Our Lady of uh, Good Success, who mm-hmm. had said something similar that that the, the Masonic sect will attack family. Yes. Um, and so, and that's an important apparition to to look into.
4: Secularize education and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. The rot of the priesthood.
6: Yeah. Yep. Which leads to where we are now. Uh, you secularize the education. You teach everyone evolution. You teach everyone God doesn't matter. Essentially, you don't even allow people to pray in in a public school, lest you might violate somebody's constitutional rights to to not believe or or whatever it is. Now you've got a situation where people have become godless. And so things that are unimaginable, just by natural law, it should be obvious that surrogacy is wrong. It should be obvious the the need of a child for his actual mother and father and the obligations upon the actual uh, the material authors of their life to uh, provide for those children and to raise them up, uh, you know, as God fearing children. That obligation doesn't cease it's because you don't want it to, and so in the case of these women, who knows if they're hard up for money? I have no idea, and uh, what the actual circumstances are in that case. But whatever it was, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's still wrong. And the I don't know anything about David Rubens. I I, I don't even know if I should comment. Um, I've actually never heard of the guy. It's how, how little I pay attention to the fake conservative uh, country club Republicans out there. But it, it doesn't surprise me at all that 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 you know where the where the discourses move i always say republicans are democrats in slow motion <laughs> they're they're going to get you to the same revolution just a little bit slower so when they need to slow it down a little bit for people to catch their breath they'll put a republican in office when they need to speed it up put the gas on like uh, since 2020 they put a uh, you know a democrat in office so here we are and conservatives are clapping like seals because these guys are doing something gravely contrary to natural law before we've even gotten a church teaching or, or um you know, what, what should be obvious from divine natural law or divine positive law. And donum vitae, you know, it's the magisterial teaching of the church says that this is wrong. Right. So at at every level we, you know, we, we should know that, but we don't. And then again, oh, well, and I, I kind of, I, I looked at this way back. Uh, When I was breaking free of the Republican thought is like, how did I get so mired into doing whatever Republicans were saying, where I even started to support the Iraq war until I realized I was being propagandized on the whole thing and realized the whole thing was wrong? And and I looked at it from the standpoint of, you know, the whole culture is against you on abortion, but here's Rush Limbaugh and here's Sean Hannity and here's talk Rider. <laughs> Here are the Republicans that are going to champion in our life issues. So you start supporting them and then you start taking an interest in the things they're saying. And some people... Can rise above what they're hearing from pe- people in authority or people who seem to you know command an audience like rich limbaugh was a brilliant entertainer you know he was great to listen to i did not agree probably with a good amount of what he said period and so but uh, what about if you, know, you check your brain because you like the guy or he's entertaining and then gradually you start to Bring your your opinions around to forming like that. And so and I knew Catholics who listened to Sean Hannity that started to soften on birth control because he was a public heretic. And uh, before he became a public apostate, he was a public heretic who denied the Catholic teaching on birth control. Right. Um, somehow that 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 became more acceptable if somebody we like is saying it. And that's where the Republicans will always bring it. So that's where we are now. The logical conclusion of that train wreck is to this point where people are clapping like seals because two gay men are going to adopt two babies from surrogate mothers, which uh, we should know is wrong. Oh, but he's conservative. So somehow it's okay.
0: Well, and, and, and here's, I think the, the larger point uh, behind that. If, if you are someone who congratulates this guy Dave Rubin again. I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about him. I know that he's a fairly popular, you know, conservative, uh, and he's got a couple million followers. If you are someone who finds yourself congratulating him for violating the natural law, but because he champions your so-called rights to lower taxes, uh, and he he appear, he's fiscally conservative and. You know he's a war hawk, neocon, or whatever, and, and and he and he hates he hates Putin and and loves uh, Zelensky. All that means is that your true religion, your true ide- uh, ideology, is is GOP boomerism. It's <laughs> it's GOP boomerism is your true religion, and you place that ahead of the Catholic faith. So my my exhortation, Matt, to any Catholics who are tempted to congratulate. Uh, Dave Rubin on this thing, and by the way, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about homo narcissism. We're gonna talk about homo grooming. Uh, I have some very disturbing videos from public schools. Matt Gasper is joining us from Catholic Family News. It's an honor to have you with us. One of the things that we do on the rundown is we bash public schools. We have the public school is a mortal sin segment, which we almost uh, every week talk about. This week it'll be the most gruesome things that you've ever seen. Um, but 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 notwithstanding all of that. These guys are doing it in plain sight with the adulation of, you know, like the Mitt Romney class. Wow.
4: Well, sad to say, I'm not surprised that uh, article that you had displayed on the screen just a minute ago is a great article by uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski published by a few years ago at one Peter five called why conservatism is part of the problem, not are uh, not part of the solution. I love the the graphic that was chosen—a sloth, <laughs> because it's like Ryan said. Dr. Kwasniewski actually says in the article that conservatism is liberalism in slow motion. Hence the sloth. Uh, but that's very true, very true.
0: It seems to me that what we need are reactionaries. We don't need. We're done with conservatives. What we need are counter revolutionaries. You know, I'm a big fan of TIA, Tradition in Action. Dr. Marion Horvat and her outfit in mm-hmm. Southern California, Orange County. Um, I'm a big. I, I'm a big fan of Dr. Plinio uh, and and the TFP. The counter
4: revolution, yeah.
0: That's right. We we need counter revolutions. We 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 don't need conservatives because because conservatives are just James. They're just slowing the process down. They're just saying. Well, you know, conser- a conservative today argues about how we can best manage national health care. Right. Well, they're
4: just conserving sure. the, the status quo. That's <laughs> They're not actually right. doing anything. So here's we, something we, interesting.
0: Need move, we need to move in the opposite direction. We need someone to push back, not just to slow down.
3: Right. Yeah, so here's something interesting. Um, uh, many of the uh, viewers will, of course, know G.K. Chesterton. In about, uh, I think, 19... 19- 10 or so, he wrote a book called What's Wrong with the World, which he brought to the forefront of the, his readers, uh, the idea of two people, Hudge uh, and Dudge. And what Hudge and Dodge are in today's uh, world would be representative of what the Republican and uh, Democrats are. And so, listen to this short uh, excerpt. You know, uh, this is what he writes. Uh, there's none other than the political antagonist That we know as liberal Hudge and the conservative Gudge. There was an important third individual in Chesterton's discourse known as Jones. He was not a gentleman of the governing class, but merely a member of the lower orders of society, the common family man. The key to Chesterton's politics is that he refused to take part in debate between Hudge and Gudge, but rather judged them both by the test of Jones. What he asked had Gudge, the industrial capitalist, done to strengthen the family of Jones? What had Hudge? socialist idealist done to strengthen the family of Jones in other words he's conveying to us what is happening today Gudge rules by a coarse and cruel system of sacking and sweating and bisexual toil when he says bisexual toil I mean you know using the sweat of both uh you know the the, the man and the woman which is totally inconsistent with the family and is bound to destroy it and hudge calls a woman's work freedom to live her own life and says the family is something we shall soon gloriously outgrow. This is 1910. This is Chesterton looking at the world and seeing exactly what is going to play out in the future. So his idea of conservatism, of course, we know the uh, conservatives of England have been moving at you know a quicker pace than the conservatives here in the US, but we're slowly all starting to be on the same trajectory. We've always been on the same trajectory, but we're slowly starting to converge ideas. And this is what was evident to someone like Trusztin back in 1910, and this, to your point, to uh, uh, Peter Kozinski's point, you know, this is so all slow motion. It's but it's all going in the same direction.
0: Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. Now let's let's continue with our segment. Oh, here we go. What is what are you showing? Oh, Revolution. Camera. Oh, that's an older copy too. That's, an yeah, old, that's the original copy. cover. That's the original yeah. cover. And
6: so he says, Uh, I'm not going to sit here and read it, I hope you get the book, but uh, about counter-revolutionaries that are semi-counter-revolutionaries, which I I take to mean from the way he describes them as conservatives, as we mean them today, and that the revolution still, he says, has place in their hearts. So they can't be true counter-revolutionaries, and they'll still give way to everything in the revolutionary process. And they're still hoping for that revolutionary utopia. So as a result, they they never break free. And you know, much like you know, much like our today's conservatives, the revolution of modernity is still very it's mandatory in their their consciousness, in their hearts, and in the way they approach everything. They can't let go of it. So the idea of getting these people to break away, do something truly counter revolutionary, to truly rebel against the system it's not really going to happen or they're only going to do it in such a way that just perpetuates the same principles of the revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, various conservatives that are very anti-government, right? But they're waving around, don't tread on me. They they, they would be just as fine with the government a hundred years ago that was stamping the people down back then. But hey, my taxes are lower, so I guess it's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah good point. You're hey, um, right. You. Are
3: you, you reading really out of the uh, Portuguese version of that book? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. He would. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway very yeah, so
6: second edition, copyright 1980.
0: Wow. Yeah, so Dr. Plinio, uh, he wrote a book called Revolution, Counter Revolution. He's the founder of uh, the TFP, Tradition, Family and Property. This particular book is very short. It's dense. It'll take you a long time to get through because every single sentence is action packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he threads the needle from the. Uh, more or less, the the, the secular humanist uh, revolution uh, of the Middle Ages all the way through the communist revolution. Uh, it is the same revolution that we are witnessing, and we're witnessing it now in the classrooms. And in the classrooms, the uh, public school teachers who have control over your children are behaving as follows.
9: I am an out teacher at my school, out as both bisexual and trans, and a lot of other teachers on TikTok were wondering how I managed coming out to my students. Uh, and it's a really interesting story. So this was right before the pandemic. I came back to my school after being away from it for a while, during which time I transitioned. So none of the kids knew me as trans, but I wanted to talk about it. So what I did is as soon as I came back, I joined up with the GSA, realized how many questions the kids had, and decided the best thing to do would be to host a QA. and a So the kids made up a whole bunch of flyers. And then one day during lunch, we hosted the Tea Talk. It was a triple entendre of tea as in trans, Tea as in spilling the tea and tea as in we literally served them tea. It was great. It was a huge success. So many people showed up. We didn't have nearly enough tea for everyone. (laughs) Um, And I spent about 10 minutes talking about the difference between gender, sex and sexual orientation. And then also talking about my own life story, sort of like the highlight reel of how I decided to come out. And then for the remaining like 30 minutes, the kids asked questions and I gave answers uh, wherever I felt comfortable.
1: Matt, that
4: that person is a a male. By a lot, is that right? Did I, or is it the opposite way around?
0: (laughs) I I think the most accurate description of that person is to call it a witch. And I think (laughs) I think we used to burn witches at the stake, and we were better off, Matt. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. By the way, that's the most mild of the three that I'm going to show you today. Of the three videos, wow. the rumors in the public school, Matt. I have said now. I there are exceptions to this, but I have said generally, general principle, and I want you to react to this. Public school is a mortal sin.
4: I mean, for I know for myself and my wife, we certainly would not feel comfortable sending our children to public school, um, you know, just too many, too many, too many landmines all over the place. And, you know, what's, what's the point of, uh, sending them to a place for, you know, six, seven hours a day where you're going to have to deprogram them every day, every day at the end of the day, you know, it's just, it's not a good thing. I don't I guess I've never thought about it in terms of being um mortally sinful but it's certain. I mean I don't know it, it de- probably depends on your your circumstances and Sure. I know. 100%. That.
0: There are exceptions to the rule but I I I think I think I'm I'm okay in defining the rule as um uh, as, as being public school is more than likely A mortal sin. Look at this teacher.
5: Showing up to teach fourth grade the day after the Don't Say Gay bill passes through the Florida house.
0: I had an epiphany, James... When I was uh, filling in for Mike Church, and I was talking about homo narcissism, and you know the the, the thing about the homo narcissist is that uh, well he has he has multiple characteristics that you can that you can identify him as he has an instinct for violence he has a hatred for the family he has an instinctive uh, desire to be right and to run your life, uh, but one of the things about the homo narcissist. Uh, which is which is true uh, really of all creatures is that uh, creatures have an innate instinct to reproduce, James. But because the homo narcissist can't biologically reproduce, their method of reproduction is grooming. It's creating that the, the, uh, the uh, image their own image and likeness in young children. That's why so many of these teachers, which are who are homo narcissists are grooming children. They want children to turn out like them uh, and, and that's and that explains their behavior.
3: Oh well, yeah absolutely you can ascribe this, this uh, to such people. I mean I, I would also add that uh, these people have multiple personalities too. Uh, and and um, I don't say that light, I don't say that lightheartedly but um, it's it's the case that you meet so many of these people. And uh, you're dealing with uh, the the uh, sort of uh, confusion of personalities. They're cl- clashing, right? But what we know that deep-seated in them is, like you just said, the want to go out and, in a sense, uh, make disciples, you know, in that gross uh, misunderstanding of the word. They want to make disciples of other people who are innocent, who don't yet know. Uh, and, grooming is a very uh appropriate word it's very apropos because that's exactly what's what's happening right so you don't come out one way and slowly uh, I'm sorry I, I mean these people come out and they they, they slowly start to encroach in your uh, moral space right and so they break down the walls around you but they have to do it in a way that is not seen as uh, forceful. at least to them, right? And so the way they do that is to take up space in public places, schools, libraries. You know, we've seen the videos of uh, these, uh, I hate the term, these uh, drag queens, you know, uh, showing up in libraries or what have you, and then reading to little children, you know, or you will have somebody who's friendly to the agenda take your seven-year-old kids on a school excursion to see, uh, you know, public court of law in action. Oh, by the way, there just happened to be a uh, homosexual uh, wedding, wedding going on. Let's go take a look at it. And so, uh, this is these are slow ways, uh, or rather, these are ways in which uh, these young kids are hurt. And so, I have a huge problem with public education for for this reason. If we can scrutinize, you know, uh, which churches to take our kids to so that they don't see certain things, we're certainly in line to scrutinize you know, whether or not our kids deserve to be uh, targeted like that. When you see videos like that, you know, there's no guarantee. because There's no parent out there that can go and actually guarantee that their entire school is operating on moral standards that they're comfortable with. And so there's a level of denial, I would say, or, you know, false hope that when you send your kids, you cart them off. A, not encountering kids who are being groomed, or B, they're not themselves being groomed by whomever it is. Can you imagine going, a, a, a child who hears certain things going into the nurse's office, sitting down and just maybe confiding something to this nurse, and the nurse decides, oh, you know, this is time to see a school psychologist. And of course, you're seeing the school, school psychologist without your parents' consent. This happens everywhere, you know? Yeah. And so we can't expect kids to know, to know how to react, you know, uh, you know the, uh, the best way, they can when they're under pressure. It's just public school education. This is what it is. And so we have to call it out for what it is. Uh of course, you know, there're always exceptions, but now nowadays, the exceptions are getting fewer and fewer because of all these egregious offenses we're seeing out out here. There's not a video that you've shown that millions of people haven't already seen or at least have been shared, you know, across families. Cuz we're all talking about this. You know, well, um, it, it, yeah, and you mentioned you
0: mentioned the fact that that they say that they are open about the fact that they're coming for our children, and that yeah. While while you were talking, it it kind of jogged my memory, and I pulled up this this older video. They are coming for your children, and I want you to look into the face of this man. Who is part of the San Francisco Gay Choir. I won't play the whole thing. Uh, I'll play enough of it for you to see that they are coming for your children. They want your children. Celebrate pride on the progress we've made over these past years. There's still work to be done. So to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights, we have a message for you.
9: You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights You say we all lead
0: lives you can't respect But you're just frightened You think that we'll corrupt your kids If
9: our agenda goes unchecked it's funny, just this once, you're correct
0: <laughs> We'll
9: convert your children Happens bit by bit, quietly suddenly and you will barely notice it
0: look at how evil this man is I mean seriously look at the evil in his eyes brother Martin we will convert your children it happens bit by bit the song goes on and on it's it's despicable I'm, that's a, I'm gonna exactly
3: what I mean you know yeah they're doing it very maliciously they're doing it with the intent that you've just uh mentioned and they're doing it in a way that you may not even notice as a parent I don't know the jargon that's out there of course uh but i've been i've been spared um a lot of this mess you know uh but i don't wish this on anybody
0: and and they're doing it they're doing it on purpose
8: brother and to nova's ordo piano music <laughs> no coincidence but to be honest this whole you know displaying one's sexual preferences out in public wearing wearing their desires their their sinful lustful perverted desires it started bit by bit in the sense that heterosexuals started dressing immodestly centuries ago um, once people just started dressing to, to express comfort rather than modesty to show more more and more skin uh, to wear tighter and tighter clothes in public that only then paved the way for people to d- start dressing according to their desires uh, to, to please to please other people in their eyes Um, So this has been happening for a long time. It wasn't just like a a flip of a switch one night in in 1969 where things just switched. It it was, it was progressive. It was uh, progressual uh, for a couple more centuries before that, for sure. John Venari used to
4: refer to this and he wrote an article for CFN, which is available on our website years ago called the, the social kingship of LGBT permeate every vestige of society. That's available on our, on our website. He goes into, I think he quotes at length from a book which was published either in the late 80s or early 90s that laid out the the strategy it's kind of like the solid yeah e book it, it
0: was a white after, paper after yes. the ball yes it was a white title. paper that they put together in the in the in the 80s matt and it was and it, and it was all the steps that the that the alphabet people were going to take first you play the victim and then you say all all we really want is equality and then you sort of gain people's trust And then at that point, you may start to make counter accusations and you start to say, if you don't accept us, then you're the one with the problem. But never, but like the the red line was never discuss what you actually doing, the physical acts of the alphabet people. And this is what alphabet people, so-called former alphabet people, you know, the, the people who who say, oh, I've been Catholic for 17 seconds and, and I'm a former alphabet person who was married to a man, uh, but now you have to take me seriously and now I'm a public commentator. This is what they do. De- they never discuss the act of sodomy.
4: Right. Right, exactly. It's a process of, uh, I mean, it's, you know, the old analogy of the, boiling the frog in the pot a little bit at a time, just like that That man was singing so maliciously. That's, that's exactly the strategy. You'd have to desensitize people over time and make them look like, you know, quote-unquote normal, nice. Um, yeah. John, one of the last conference talks that John gave uh, before he passed, God rest his soul, was called Fatima and the Forces of the Antichrist uh, Into in the, it was the summer of 2016, and it's a great, that's video is available on the, the Fatima Center YouTube channel, Fatima and the Forces of the Antichrist, John Benari, and he basically talked, he kind of reiterates what he wrote years before in that article about the so-called social kingship of LGBT and um, lays it out very clearly. John was a master teacher, speaking of education, he he and his wife uh, homeschooled their children and just, he was a master teacher.
0: Yeah, he, he was. And and I, I am happy to say that I've met uh, some of uh, the Venari children and they are fantastic people and God bless that family. Um, Final groomer video. And I'm going to kick it over to you, Ryan. At this point now, the groomers are so empowered. They're so emboldened. They're so entrenched in the public school that if you misgender them, it will not only ruin their day, but they'll have to go out to TikTok and 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 send their co- their crocodile tears out there because some child misgendered these groomer teachers.
9: I usually love my job, but lately, the one driver that doesn't listen just constantly misgendered me. This person pretty much made it so I ain't going to work. I can hate it right now. And I love my job. I usually love my job. I love working with these kids. I love doing it. There's only 20 more days left in the school year. Like school days left for me to work. And i just like every day, I'm trying to convince myself that I can do it. It's just, to just go through the day. <laughs> I'm just tired of getting misgendered and ignored all the time by her. She doesn't listen. I correct her all the time and she just doesn't listen. Just like...
4: So th- this is something that's people... I'm not real familiar with TikTok but they post this in public they post that kind of a tantrum in public.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean we we live in a we live in a voyeurist society where yeah, you know you want to post all the I your mean YouTube. I can't
4: imagine you know all of us have our difficult days for legit actual legitimate reasons but I can't imagine ever actually Publishing that for the world to see, like what, what could possibly what good could possibly well, come I, from for,
0: that. For, for the modernist to emote is is the is the uh, quintessential experience of reality that that reality is defined by having an emotional experience. That's it. It happens inside your mind. I think, therefore, I am. And um, and, and, we and we all so- went through that
6: stage. It was called uh, middle school. And I- <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: <So> we grew <laughs> up
6: uh it's one of those that when i see something like this i see somebody that um essentially never grew up I, whatever happened in their life uh god forbid they were abused somewhere that, that caused that and i don't want to make you know capital out of their suffering in any way but right. if that's merely a um from the abuse that is but uh if that happened but if that's merely i chose to be this way i i felt in my heart that I, i'm one of uh that I'm really this person, I'm not even going to try, unless it causes <laughs> another video to be produced. Um, you know, And then the response is to emote and to cry, and to take it so personally, you have to cry about it in, in a public video. Um, you know, People say things that are hurtful. That's life in public. Uh, as soon as you stick your face out in public for any reason, there's going to be someone at some time that is going to try to smack you back into in obscurity just because they can Maybe you deserve it, maybe you don't, depends on what you're doing. But that's if you want to be in public doing anything, whether it's on a channel like this, if you want to be in education where you work with people, or you anywhere you want to be where you have to work with people, somebody is not going to like you and somebody is going to say something bad about you. It's the human condition. And we either learn to make the best of it or you're going to be an emotional wreck. And, you know, men and women who are truly mature men and women. They take these things in stride. They move on or it just inspires them to do better. Um, and, and that's part of... I or think at the where, very
4: least, they don't post their tantrum in public. <laughs> right?
6: You know, you go home and cry a little bit, drink drink some wine or drink some... Whatever it is, your, your drink of choice. <laughs> um, and my, my drink of choice is coming after the stream, but...
1: uh <laughs>
6: got a date with some Irish whiskey, thanks to uh, the for, first Vespers of St. Joseph. But um, anyway that that's that that's life it will happen and so it's the emotional wreck that these people are and these are the people that we want you know teaching our kids and um apart from even the alphabet question they're so emotionally broken that this is how they have to whine and cry and do these things it, it's a sign there are no men left in the mainstream of society just as there are a few real women left in the mainstream of society and women always get tagged for being emotional like yada yeah, yada. Yeah, yeah. um Emotion, it, it, it's natural for women to be emotional to a point. It's actually part of their natural perfection that God gave them. And it's not a vice, but when it's properly ordered. And so a woman properly ordered too is not going to emote like this in camera because she'll have a natural sense of modesty. She's not going to put that out there. And, and the, the very notion by which these things exist have been completely eroded in modern society altogether. No, I
0: mean, but it's, 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 it's modesty, it's decorum. Mm-hmm. It's uh It's justice. I, I, I mean, it's it's I don't even know where we start. I mean, we, we one of these days on the rundown, we should we should talk about the four cardinal virtues and the lower passions and the, and the cogitative powers, because I, this is just something that people don't understand. And a lot of, you know, sort of mainstream Catholics don't get it. And they like to talk about oh charity and all this. You, if you, but you have to work your way up to charity. You have to go. You have to pass through temperance and fortitude before you can even get to prudence of justice. Before you can even get to charity. People think charity is just being nice, or whatever. Anyway, I'm sorry that that was a digression. <laughs> what we need to do uh, besides besides knocking on homo narcissists and they're everywhere. They're even in the mainstream establishment Catholic media, unfortunately. Uh, besides doing that, what we do have to do is we have to. Well, we have to grift. Money, money,
1: money,
0: money. Money. We have to grift, ladies and gentlemen, because every week on The Rundown, we are trying to steal your money. That's what we do on the most trusted <laughs> podcast in the history of humankind. And the first person who's always up trying to line your line his pockets <laughs> with anything that's in your pockets is Ryan Grant at Mediatrics Press.
6: That is right. Um, so, I have uh, just a couple things to put out there. Um, thanks to everyone who bought the St. Joseph book. Um, you know what? I should, in a minute, I'll walk over and grab that. Um, you know, Meditations on the Life of St. Joseph, the Spirituality of St. Joseph, the Virtues that St. Joseph practiced for every day of the month of March. I will have another one uh, for the month of May for Our Lady. And another one for June for the month of the Sacred Heart. I have a feeling that uh, the subjects we were just covering, June is going to be made as miserable as possible for us. Uh, I I have a feeling it's going to be more in your face than it has ever been in history. And so uh, so when I have that uh, in the month of June, the month of the Sacred Heart, the meditations for every day of the month of June, uh, that's a book you'll probably want to be getting. So uh, that being said, um, I am now at a point where I can mention this. If I.
0: Uh, Ooh, breaking whew. news from the <laughs> Press.
6: Should be right. Let's see if this actually works. Yep. Send me the
4: press release, Ryan. We'll publish it.
6: <laughs> okay.
0: Volume people
6: have justifiably uh complained that it's been about three years since i put one out oh goodness no i put out volume two in 2018 with the full intention that i would have volume three in 2019 um, and, and and speed it up a bit from there and that didn't happen And then when I was going to finally get the gumption to do it, and I've made this in other places just by way of explanation on a new sob story. That's when my daughter died. And I was the very day I I was reading through the Latin to get ahead uh, on this. And in all of 2020, I didn't even touch it. I didn't even look at this. And I finally got back on the horn last year. And so it's finally moving again. So just by way of explanation, especially for donors. I'm uh, behind on producing the newsletters to give the update progress that I meant to, but we're finally getting there. Sections are in editing, um, the uh, you know getting a, the look over. So the ten is the second section on the Ten Commandments. Uh, so number seven will be, um, of course, on theft, which is a massive treatise because it's everything that has to do with uh, the, the traditional scholastic treatise de justitia at ure, So you're going to be dealing with, uh, you know, contract, or well, what is theft properly, of course, um, you know, different things, considering that contracts, contracts considered under this instance. Does uh, he discuss income tax by any on.
4: chance? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, and usury, the big one that everyone wants in this volume will be usury. And that's going to add it was the yeah. lengthiest part um I had to spend a lot of time double-checking things in the civil law of the 18th century. I have been
10: waiting example. for that.
6: Yep. Brian, I've been has. waiting
0: for that. You know you know that I'm sort of uh, low-key obsessed with usury, and there's only... In your first version, in your first uh, volume, there's only one reference to usury. It's on... Uh, what page is this? Well, it's on page five, mm-hmm. and, and it's paragraph 42. That's the only... I, I know this because I, I have my little dog tag in here. I have my little, go. my little, uh, <laughs> I, I am, I am ruthlessly looking for every, because I think proper selection
6: men. for treating it. So, and then it'll go to the eighth commandment on lying on detraction on slander and all those particular distinctions, ninth and 10th are footnotes because they're more or less covered in the previous treatises. And so, and then that will be it. It'll be a big wonking volume. Um, I still have one more section to finish translating on it, but so much is going through the editors now that I have good hope to see that out this spring. So, and otherwise I wouldn't have even put up the graphic. So, so that's a plus, uh, the next volume after that, and I'm just going to try to keep going some low key work on Bellarmine, but try to get these volumes out of the way because they're the most tedious and I'll be able to move faster with one when I get done with the other. So I'm just going to keep moving. Um, so the, after that is Ecclesiastical Precepts and then we're going to get to the sacraments all the the moral considerations in the sacraments in terms of their administration and reception by the by the faithful so that'll be a really interesting section uh, for a lot of different discussions in the tradition, um, you know all the and of course matrimony. Everyone wants to get there because everyone wants to know what you can and can't do. I always get emails, and it'll always go with I oh, check with no. this priest, a very good traditional priest, about X, which I won't dare even mention. Uh, yes. Number nine thirty-five yes. day matrimonio. That'll that's enough if you know what that that one <laughs> refers to. Can I? Uh, can and I,
0: it, can I just it, say Twitter's not the place to ask these questions. Yes, yeah. not. If you have questions about the sixth and ninth commandment, if you have questions about the matrinal matrimonial bedroom, do not go to Twitter. What is wrong with you people?
1: <laughs>
0: Brother Martin, you are up. You're grifting this week. You're you're the the uh, the fake monk. Brother Martin is here. To steal your money.
8: <laughs> like a fake monk. The first thing I'm going to grift. Uh, this week is because we have someone visiting us, visiting us this coming week uh, to discern our community. Um, so please, please pray for the Oblate of St. Augustine and for these young men's discernment. Um, and also another thing I want to grift, grift number two, is this past week there were a lot of requests on Twitter for Mike and this whole thing with Church Militant um, for both sides to reach some sort of settlement agreement. I know you; it comes from a good place in everyone's heart. Um, but the reality is that kind of stuff, because lawyers are involved, costs a lot of money. And so the real question is a matter of prudence, whether or not that money is worth being spent. Um, because sometimes there's there could be a side in any contest of litigation where the money would be better off like lit on fire, because at least it would provide some sort of heat, you know, cold <laughs> weather. So if. If you want to. Uh, propose something like that um, a settlement, whatever you can go to his link, get this and go to slash defeat CMTV and and offer him something for it because Mike's doing this all out of his own pocket. Um, and obviously, you know, you need money to get to the finish line. And if you're going after settlement, 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 all failures, you're going to have less and less out of your own pocket to reach that, that finish line. Um, so if you, if you want to see that happen, um, please consider donating to, to his, his because ultimately it seems like the, the the finish line you know is is where things are going to have to end up so um i mean that's just i mean from from what i'm seeing on twitter that's that's what it seems to me because um it, you, you you try to get goodwill out of them and they, they don't seem to have like they they, they tweet uh, mike needs to accept our terms in order for there to be a settlement it's like well we all expect some sort of compromise i mean that's just that's just how christians do things we compromise we reach a middle ground. Um, But they seem set in stone on their, on their terms and their terms alone. Um, And so please, please consider helping helping Mike out and and, and donating to his fund.
0: I didn't know you were going to do that. Thank you so much for that. Uh, James, what are you reading this week? What are you grifting?
3: Very good question. Um, Since this week we've been put back into the mindset of Fatima uh, and Matt Gaspers mentioned something about this in the beginning uh, of the show. Um, I'm reading this. This is The Whole Truth About Fatima by for Michelle De La Santa uh, It's a great book. You can pick this up uh, at, uh, I wouldn't mention the website, but you can Google this. Uh, the Whole Truth About Fatima. Uh, and it looks like it's volume voyages. three. Yeah, yeah it's volume three. Exactly. You can find uh, uh, there is copies of this uh, online i don't uh, think uh, anyone in the shows are uh, carrying it, otherwise like i would have gripped um, it for you guys but uh, feel free to pick that up at catholic bookstores or elsewhere online great book to know you have to read something like this to if you're a Sodom enthusiast uh, i mean father fred i mean uh, fred michel is one of the great uh, writers who can you hear me?
1: Yeah. losing
3: mm-hmm. my audio. Yeah. Yep. One of the great writers, you don't want to miss out on this book. You want to pick this up if you can. Uh, and they're, they're, they're pretty available online. I haven't run into – I was wanted to ask about this last week, and I said they could pick it up online. I looked online. I found various uh, sites where, where these books can be purchased. So go ahead and uh, grab one.
0: Fatima Enthusiast or Fatima Fundamentalist. That's the
1: question. Morning, 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 morning. Morning.
0: Mr. Gaspers, you're up and you are grifting something. I I don't know what you might be grifting this week. I just have a feeling. Well, I mean, the main
4: thing that we're always looking for is is more subscriptions. You know, uh, we're not a nonprofit, so, you know, folks are welcome to donate to us. But unfortunately, you won't get a tax write-off from us because we are a a for-profit business. Um, but subscriptions. I mean, I think for the the amount of content that we put out in the newspaper, and I and you know, in my humble opinion, the quality of the content that we print each month, uh, forty two dollars a month for a U.S. print subscription plus that includes a, access to the e edition for a whole year, forty two dollars is is a very minuscule uh, minuscule subscription price. And then if if you happen to be somebody who would prefer to only read our our newspaper on a tablet, phone, other electronic device. It's $32 for a full year of e-edition access. So just again, for U.S. and Canada delivery, to get a physical newspaper delivered to your house, in addition to um, access to the e-edition is $42 for the year, uh, $47 if you're in Canada. And then if you happen to be overseas, uh, for a print subscription, it's $78 for the year just because of shipping costs for shipping it all over the world. Um, But again, if you only want the e-edition access, it's it's only $32 for a full year. And, you know, something we've been working really hard at over the past couple of years now, Brian uh, McCall and I, our weekly news roundup, we're slowly but surely, you know, getting more and more subscribers to our YouTube channel. We're also on Rumble. Um we do uh, an audio or the audio only version of our show is on Buzzsprout and and other podcast forums. So you know, the main thing we just need more subscribers to those channels to help continue to grow our audience and and get the message out there. I mean, we're I'll put it this way: We're certainly not in this for the money that that we're making from it. We're, <laughs> it's not a lucrative business like it is for certain other uh, media outlets. <laughs> I will say,
1: yeah.
4: um, Catholic Family News has always been a very small, you know, kind of grassroots, homegrown um, apostolate, and and I don't see that changing anytime soon. So you know, we definitely need your help. We need subscribers. Uh, we need not only to the print edition, but also to our YouTube, like I say, YouTube channel, Rumble, uh, all those, all those platforms. So please support our work and help. And uh, you know, as our friend, Dr. Taylor Marshall often says, you are my algorithm, I think is what he says, you know, sharing our content online is really, really helps Uh, sharing it on Facebook, on Twitter, on all that stuff. So thank you so much for your support.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's been an honor to have you on the show. My understanding is is that there's one more surprise.
6: This is nothing that benefits me personally, but I was going to share a uh, cigar I had uh, this, I think, last week for the first time. uh, Villager Exclusivo. I think it will focus. Mm -hmm. Maybe if I get it closer. Um, Anyway. Um, my local cigar lounge, the racketeer, uh, pipe and cigar lounge, uh, picked it up and that's where I generally go. That's where I will be in approximately 10 minutes is, uh, the racketeer (laughs) (laughs) walking distance from the Mediatrix press office.
0: No rush on that. Right. No rush to to wrap the show.
6: (laughs) No, no, whenever we're done, uh, right. Um, so we still have unpop. So, but uh, yeah, whatever we're done here, that's that's where I'll be walking to finish up uh, some things. Many books that you enjoy were actually finished up on the computer in the racketeer lounge while I was uh, smoking or drinking some sinful uh, devil's brew of some sort, according to some pro clutching trads. So, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> so that's uh, so there's not even my grift. So goes so, uh, if you're in this area, Post Falls Court d'Alene, Rathdrum, Spokane Valley, etc. Uh Try out the rac- uh, the Racketeer Cigar Lounge.
0: All right, Racketeer. Uh, good grift, good grift. I like it, I like it. So what we need to do now are the unpopular opinions. Uh, we actually flip flop the unpops and the grifting because we wanted to really... Really steal money from your pockets. But that's what we do here at the rundown. That's why this exists. Is to uh, is is well, it's fraud, right? Uh, but this is the most trusted podcast in the history podcast. And now, what we're going to do is give our unpopular opinions, and those are the opinions which are the most objectively unpopular. Uh, we have to show last week's winner. Is it and up? It's, it's up,
6: and that would be James.
0: James, you that, won.
7: Was Looks this like a close
0: election thing? <laughs> it was close. It was a close call, but he was beyond the margin of, of error. It uh, wasn't it. I, James had the unpopular opinion that we need to regularize genu- gender segregation in gyms. This week, we're going to do the unpopular opinions, and we're going to start uh, as we normally do now with Ryan.
6: Okay. So my unpopular opinion is that nursing women, um, women with very small children under the age of, say, three or four, um, probably should not go to church most Sundays. They should not. shouldn't have the position, especially when you live far away. It's one thing you're in walking distance. You pick up another mass so the husband watches the kids. But when you're a half hour to an hour away, uh, and I know many families do this and many families dragging them through, themselves through this. What good is it to drag yourself to mass and then a um, husband's going to struggle with a two-year-old in the church and you're going to sit in a different room watching the mass on TV in a cry room so you can nurse your baby? It doesn't really make any sense. Historically, in the life of the church, uh, women with very young children who are nursing uh, or just given birth, they didn't go to mass. They didn't bring very, very young children to Mass. Now, I'm not coming at this from the angle of, oh, how dare they make noise and disturb my Mass. I, I could actually care less about that. But rather, it's not healthy for the woman. It disrupts, of course, the, the, the daily schedule where nursing and cuddling that the baby necessarily needs for the bonding and for its life. Everything is disrupted. Get in a car, getting locked up in a car seat. And then all she's going to do is just sit there and watch Mass on TV. Um, in a cry room, especially when churches declare that, uh, you know, we, we don't want you in the church with the baby, we don't want you making noise, that happens in many places so, um, and to back this up, St. Alphonsus Liguori, I just mentioned uh, the forthcoming volume three here's volume two Um, and he says it uh, very clearly uh, Very clearly. Um, uh, let's see, where is it no, not there um yes, so that women with very young uh children are not uh required to go to mass on a regular basis, and woman who has just given birth should have at the very least of six weeks women who have to uh to, to nurse their own child, and he has another thing where he says women should be nursing their own child under pain of venial sin and you know, and he says very clearly here that if you know the, the spiritual needs, of the wife you know, demand it, the husband can stay home and allow the wife to go at least one or you know two times. But in general, it should actually be the husband that is going to mass with the older children and not the wife. So, my unpopular opinion is that uh, rather than forcing our wives to you know go through the rigmarole with very little children, um, you know they they should actually stay home. Instead, you know, in in a relaxing environment rather than somewhere else just to sit down and watch mass on TV. And likewise, too, uh, after they've had birth, they they should be out six weeks. There's a thing that now where the trad orders will right after the baptism, they'll do the churching of women because, well, the wife just happens to be there. And historically, that did not happen. Historically, the, the parents oftentimes did not even go to the baptism. It was actually the godparents that took them to the baptism. And the mother stayed in bed and the, when the churching of women's ceremony took place was six weeks later when, you know, the, the, uh, the mother was now, you know, prepared physically to try to start going to church again when she could. But if there was no nurse, there was no one to watch the baby. She stayed home. And so that's my unpopular opinion. Don't drag your wives and put your babies in the car seat. Let them relax until they're at least, you know, three years old or ages where you can expect them to at least be quiet in the pew and hopefully pay attention rather than trying to spank and whip babies into into shape to be quiet for everybody else.
0: Trad scruples are going to have a big problem with this one, Ryan.
6: Oh, yes, they're I mean, I'm in it to win it.
0: You, you decided to win this week. You wanted to win this week, right? What about what about all these, you know, large Catholic families that have, you know, a, a kid every 18 months? Does the mom just never go to mass for uh, like 15 years?
6: Yeah, that's where uh, once you have older children, you can adjust that a little bit. One and two, it like San Alfonso says that uh, you know the husband can also stay home so that she can go to mass as well. Okay. But you know, but uh, traditionally that that's actually what was done.
8: Wow! All right, but that means you have uh, to drive. <laughs>
0: Then she has a Yeah, now, and she'd have to have that? shoes
6: too. Right. And I'd have to I'd have to undo yeah. the chain that has her in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
0: <laughs> who's gonna make your sandwich when you stay home, Ryan?
1: <laughs> you could get hungry.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's uh
0: these are so many what ifs in this. <laughs> hey,
3: right. for, for those of us fasting on Sunday until three o'clock in the afternoon, right? <laughs>
0: that's it. That's it. You're not supposed to fast on Sunday. What's going on with that? I already that's do
6: because I mean,
0: that's exactly like
3: right. to an early
6: mass. But because um, otherwise, it ends up being that I because I won't eat until communion, and then if that's the the high mass, that gets out practically close to close to one and then there's coffee and donuts and i'll drink the coffee at least to finally break my fast and then you know kids will be playing with their friends or whatnot or people will be talking and so i get out of there 1 i get home it's two o'clock by the time i get home and i basically fasted on sunday because that's that's it's like keep the ancient tradition or you know or don't fast yep. on sunday one's more traditional and so right.
0: Travesty, travesty. All right, Mike, all right, see Mike. I'm in the mind of uh, Ryan. I know these things. <laughs> it's, it's, well, well, while you're on screen, and, and in the mind of Ryan, can you can you try to defeat oh, Ryan's incredibly unpopular opinion this week?
3: Well, since since he has decided to try to uh, get back that crown, I'm going to throw something out there. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about this. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about this uh, about the uh, churches in the east. You know, the separation uh, of men and women uh, sitting at mass, and uh, I know in some African countries this is this is the case. In some places, uh, the practice still has not ended, and so I would be. I think I would be in favor of that return to that segregation by uh, by sex. You know, one aisle for men and one aisle for women. What do you think about that, Ryan? Take that.
8: <laughs> <laughs> That's CM, good. Headline. That's good. CM headline, headline. black man in favor of segregation. <laughs>
0: oh, shots fired. Oh, man. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. yes, I love it, I love
6: it,
1: I love
6: it. Uh, Should I write it up know, that way for the poll?
0: <laughs> I, <didn't, laughs> I haven't read it now. Right. <laughs> I think, now if I understand correctly, you're abstaining this week, brother, so that uh so that Matt Gaspers can get in on it.
8: Yeah, go for Matt. Go for it, Matt. All right, Matt.
0: What's okay. your unpopular opinion this week, Matt? So I've gone back and forth in
4: my mind if to, if I was gonna say this one. I think I am though, and I and I'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But you know, watching all of this stuff with Ukraine and uh and Russia play out, I knew virtually nothing about uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. I think I pronounced his first name correctly according to the Ukrainian pronunciation. Um, and the more I learned, the more I am like, wow, that's messed up. Because uh, <laughs> I, I didn't or didn't know anything about the man. So I'm certainly not a fan of Zelensky from what I can tell anyway, but I am also certainly not a fan of Vladimir Putin. I do not think that he is a sincere Christian. Um, you know, only God knows his heart and mind. But uh, my gut instinct is that he is still very much the KGB agent. The KGB, whatever his rank was, I don't, I don't remember offhand. But and the same goes for Patriarch Kirill. Uh, in my opinion, what they are doing when they uh, tout, you know, what are traditionally, you know traditional Christian Western values of, you know, natural law, morality and stuff like that. I think it's a way of them uh, kind of playing the West uh, better than, you know, it's like they're, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but they're, they're trying to mock us almost by being what we should be, if that makes sense. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's sincere. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys or to the viewers, but my unpopular opinion is that I don't think Vladimir Putin is the real, I don't think he's like a necessarily a potential Constantine. I've heard that phrase used, something like that. I don't think he is. I think he is still the KGB agent doing what's in his best interest. And if that happens to include, um, you know, a strong nationalist Russia or whatever, uh, then so be it. But I, I really don't, I think, at best, at best case scenario, under him, you know, Russian orthodoxy traditionally was always just a, a puppet of the of the state. That's that's been their tradition. It's it's an arm of the government. I don't think it's any different under Putin with the uh, patriarch Kirill, who was also a KGB
0: agent. It, so you're, saying, you're saying though, that they can uh, both be bad. Not. You're saying you're, <laughs> it's, it's not an either or. You're totally breaking down our, our dipolar way of thinking, our paradigm of thinking. It's either red or blue. It's Republican or Democrat. It's conservative or liberal. You're saying that they could both be bad. And my brain is exploding.
4: <laughs> I mean, I hope for his sake that you know, maybe that I'm wrong, but um I would be shocked to know that I am wrong in this case. And so we'll see. Maybe but maybe this forthcoming consecration will change things. I, I certainly hope so for the sake of his soul and i hope for the sake of the ukrainian people uh that they have a good you know one day once again have a good actual christian leader like they like they should like they historically you know they are a very i know that and same thing with the russian people the i know the christian faith runs very deep in the the soul of russia same thing with the soul of ukraine so we will see what the effects of this uh consecration next friday might be for that so
0: We'll see or we won't see either way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, since brother threw a curveball, normally I'm the one to abstain from giving you an unpopular opinion when we have a guest on. But brother just texted us in the last, in in the 11th hour saying, I'll step aside. I'll dive on this grenade and I'll step aside. So I I had to pull (laughs) one out of, out of the ether. And my unpopular opinion this week is that not that most modernists are not objectively like they're not they're not trying to be evil. They're just accidentally evil. And what, what do I say by that is when you look at any moral act, it has three components to it. You have the object, the circumstances and the intention. And what we have all been co- co- coaxed into thinking uh, is that the intention is the most important. You know, you've heard the phrase that good intentions uh, uh, are are the path to hell or whatever the phrase is. Um, The truth is, is that most modernists do believe that the intention of a moral act is the most important thing. Well, I tried to do good. I intended to do good. It doesn't matter if they don't actually look at the intrinsic moral character of the act, nor do they look at the circumstances. For example, uh, giving to the church is a great idea. Giving to the church uh, in front of everybody when I t- when I take my my billfold out and I just start throwing hundreds down <laughs> uh, in front of everybody. Circumstances not so good. Maybe if my intention is to do good for the church, but I do it that way, it's still not a good thing. And so they say that the, the, you know they say that the um, intentionality. So my my unpopular opinion is that many modernists many wicked men and women, libertines, let's call them, they have falsely been taught that so long as you intend a good outcome, even if you don't achieve a good outcome, it's okay. And I'm not saying we're consequentialists. We're not consequentialists. We actually don't care about the outcome. What we care about are the integral good. And the integral good is defined as whether or not the thing is intrinsically good. So for example, you you can't ever have an abortion ever for any i mean that's it you cannot intend to kill a baby for any legitimate reason um, so you can't say well but my intention is to have more children down the line or my intention is that i'm going to have a better life or my intention is that i have this apostolate and so you know to keep my apostolate you know i can't be distracted by it. no the intention can never outvote or outweigh the intrinsic nature of the thing but most modernists haven't been taught that, that there is actually a hierarchy of goods within the construct of the, uh, of the uh, integral good. And the fact of the matter is, is that the intention is like the least important thing. It's the least important among the things. I mean, the circumstances are more important than the intention. Um, so uh, so my, my unpopular opinion is that it's not their fault. Most modernists are evil. Yes, in an objective sense, they are evil but they're not intending to be evil. See what I did there? They're not intending to be evil because they've been told that the intention in, a, in any moral act is mo- is the most important thing. And so what we need to do to counteract liberalism and to counteract modernism is to recatechize not only ourselves, our neighbors, our friends, our families, our communities, and our parishes, especially in the hierarchy of what makes an act intrinsically good, in integrally good. And it's, it's whether or not, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the, the, the object itself, it's the circumstances, and then finally, lastly, almost as an afterthought, it's the intention. And so merely willing something to be a good thing. So, for example, you go to Susan at the parish council, and you are polite to her, uh, and, and she's totally usurping the authority of, of the parish and you're deferential to Susan at your parish council uh, just to keep things, you know, kind of like on an even keel or whatever. But you enable her to usurp the authority of the priests and of the men of the parish. But you do so with the best intention of mine. Of, I want to keep things on a level playing field. I don't want to cause anything at my parish. You have placed intentionality, the least important thing, as the most important thing. Because the fact of the matter is, is that a woman usurping the authority of a man is itself never okay, right? Or almost never okay. Maybe circumstances in that case could uh, could, could counteract because you might have a St. Joan of Arc uh, uh, situation. But you don't have a St. Joan of Arc situation at your parish, okay? Susan at your parish council is not St. Joan of Arc, and you <laughs> cannot comply with her usurpation of the authority of the man who is the priest. So in that case, and I, I'm, I'm rambling here. But you can't, you just, you can't, you can't fault liberals because they have been trained. And even most conservatives have been trained. And even a lot of trads have been trained into believing this false belief that if I, well, if I have the best of intention, then it's all okay. No, intention is the last thing you need to look at. And by the way, Putin is a war criminal. Did you know that? (laughs) He's a war criminal, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Biden said it.
4: Now, I guess if I could just clarify before we close out, I don't. Um, how do I put this? Uh, there are you certain-
8: don't end up on a random list. Yeah, of- I think
4: there are bad actors <laughs> on both sides. I'm not trying to favor one or over the other. So, but Did
0: you make the top twenty-five uh, list.
4: I don't think I did actually. I looked at the
0: list. There were like random Twitter users that made the list.
4: Yeah, I think Ryan was you made that list, didn't you, Ryan?
7: Yeah, right.
6: Somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did, number nine, which I don't get that because I think every time I've talked about Putin for at least a year, I've mentioned the fact that he came to power by bombing apartments, uh, having the FSB set bombs in apartments, and things. Well, the that. And so well, we're going to save you if you'll just you just vote for me. And then again, um, you know, so many things that he's done that uh, Russia is a, a very draconian state, very nationalist state. And so they've done some things that are good, without a doubt, stopping, obviously, the alphabet people, at least ostensibly. But we have to remember, too, we're getting that from their state run propaganda. So, it, just as the BBC is basically state run propaganda, or most American media state run propaganda. RT, that's not your source for true news. That's state propaganda, too. Right. And so, who knows how much of that is just. Uh, I think, James, is that you on the mute? I don't know.
1: Somebody's
6: making noise. Someone's on the back feed. Uh, there, we there we go. go. There we go. Um,
0: anyway, there's a poster of it. It wasn't James. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Uh, But anyway, it's it's one of those things. They're not, you know, necessarily right, but they're giving us information that, again, I don't trust at face value any more than I trust the BBC or MSNBC or CNN or whoever. So, right. This
0: is what happens when you protest. If you protest in Putin's Russia, this is what happens to you.
6: and the, the putinophiles um you know the people that think putin is the greatest thing and the savior of civilization and whatnot you know they they praise the canadian truckers for standing up against that very thing and yet they they promote you know putin doing the thing they right. condemn in canada exactly which is it i i i don't understand it
0: any more than i understand
6: how i made number nine on this list but
0: no i that was that was a surprise i I think i made number 11 which to be honest there were like Mm -hmm. 100 people ahead of me that should have been on that list um this is the rundown thanks for watching